everyone. This is Jennifer Abagnashi with Deep Believer. 2022 has been an amazing year with you and the Deep Believer channel, and I'm so glad I've got to share it with you. First and foremost, I'd like to thank Jesus for putting his hand on this channel and blessing it the way he has. If he had not, this channel would not have flourished and gone to so many countries all over the world. Also, I'd like to thank our supporters who've helped support this ministry to help keep us standing. As well, I'd like to thank our subscribers and our first-time viewers. Spectacular testimonies were shared and lives have been changed all around the globe. And now we present you with our best supernatural testimonies of 2022. Happy New Year. like the Bible says that um, all of our days are in and a lot of times people think it's talking about the book of life right but it's not because the, the book of life just has your name if you're going to make it to heaven it doesn't have all your days so every one of us actually has a book in heaven like a book with your name on it where every single plan that God has ever had for your life is written in that book this is the book that he was talking about when he told Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you hope in the future. He didn't just know the plans, he actually wrote them down. So there is a book and it has all the details and the plans for your life. So like literally, let's say like if there was a business that you're supposed to have, your business is in that book. The name of the business down to the pity of how much money that business is supposed to make. If there's a patent you're supposed to, or something you're supposed to invent, the patent number is in there. Um, if there is... A book you're supposed to write like all of that information is in there this is actually like these are actually the three things that i built my business around when i came back because i was like uh, what i noticed is a lot of people aren't living their books so there's a lot of inventions that people haven't been inventing there's a lot of um, books that people haven't been writing there's a lot of businesses that god wants in the earth that people haven't been opening because they're just settling for the mundane that's why in my business i help people do those three things start a business write a book or um patent an invention because um, those are the people aren't doing it. They're just settling for a job or whatever else because they don't even know they have a book in heaven with their name on it, what God has already written every plan for their life. And it was very strategic. The reason why God took the time to actually write the book and not just know the plans is because writing the book actually makes it very powerful. Because if you think about the Bible, the reason why it's powerful is because it's the written infallible word of God. And it's the Bible, and the Bible says that it was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it. So it was written by God. So because God is the author, the words in the Bible cannot return unto him void because he said my word can't return unto me void. So that's what makes the Bible powerful. But that's the same thing with the book. That's why he took the time to actually take your name and put it on a book and write your whole life and every plan he has for you. Because everything in your book now has the same power as everything in the Bible because they have the same author, which means like nothing in your book can return void either. That's the powerful thing. So like when the enemy tries to come against my business, I don't even have to fight him because I know it's in my book. I literally just tell him three words. It is written. So my heart is always to worship the Father. So I just suddenly found myself on my knees to the side. As if the Father is looking straight ahead, I was on his, le on his left side. And, and this is rare because I really don't share this. Uh, this first time I was with the father, but it's it's special. But I just I feel I can I can share it. 
anyway so i I'm, my hands are down the, the flooring is like it says it's kind of it's clear but it's white it's pure light and it's got a beveled edge the tiles are, are really well fit, fit together but kind of beveled but not like you trip on it or catch a heel or something there's just a a, a, a roundness you know to the edges slightly and um and the father's there so he's it's not you don't think of him as 50 feet tall or 100 feet tall or or something like that. I suppose if you were a child, he might you might think he's 30 feet tall because throne goes up a little bit. It's not like it's sitting like a recliner on your living room. There's there's steps up to it and everything. And there's cherubs around there. Now, I'd seen cherubs before in another uh, experience, uh, visitation. They're about five and a half feet tall. Um, they're not very big. They're multiple winged, like it's described. Um, it was interesting that I was worshiping, and I'll tell you, I'll share this with you, and it may sound goofy, but I'm telling you this is what this is what happened. So I'm worshiping, and the father looks at me, he turns and he looks at me, and he says, I'll be back. And just then, the cherubs, the two on my side, start beating their wings. And there is this iridescent dust uh, that's the glory cloud. If, imagine if you're in a fog and every single piece of fog is a different color okay just imagine as you could see the mist and they start beating and start going whoo, 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 and it sounds like a helicopter almost coming to you just whoo, 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 whoo. and there was a point that they started beating their wings so fast and sound like that helicopter coming at you and suddenly those those all those little iridescent particles of glory just suddenly burst into flame and they were a complete ball of flame completely enclosed in flames and, and I could see through that they bent down and somehow they lifted up the flooring where the father was seated and they picked up the flooring and they put it like on their shoulders. And then the whole, and they did this in unison so that the, the throne platform is now on the cherub's shoulders. And then it picks up like this and the father says, I'll be back. And it goes like that and banks away like an airplane. And I'm going in my mind, I'm going, okay, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, chapter and verse, <laughs> you know, and I, and, I'm going back to Ezekiel chapter one, where Ezekiel is standing by the river Kibar, and he sees what he describes as balls of fire coming at him. And it's, he's describing the throne platform of, of the Father God. And, and then in my mind, I'm remembering that, that the Lord, the Father, is an oriental king. And oriental kings, if, you, if you've ever seen a Chinese tapestry, if you've ever seen any uh, Indian um, subcontinent of India, if you've ever seen anything from India, they hold their potentates, they hold their officials, their kings, their emperors on their shoulders on a, on a dais there that there's a seat and everything. And I remembered how the Levites were instructed to run a pole through the Ark of the Covenant and carry it on their shoulders with the Holy of Holies. And so all this is going through, it's like, wow, this makes sense. I just never thought this is how it would be applied. And it seemed like a half an hour went by, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, so the Father God does go places in the universe. He can go places. He can't. He visited Ezekiel. He came down on Mount Sinai. You know, in Revelation 4, he brought John up to him. You know, and I'm going through all of this. Uh, the Father came down on the Mount of Transfiguration. He came down to the top of the mountain to talk to Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Yeah, so he came, the, the whole process was reversed. And he came, it seemed like a half an hour. And he, he came down, they, he came in, sat down, the cherubs, you know, took off the shoulder, put the flooring back so it was a seamless transition. And they stood there and their wings just slowed down just like that. 
I'm not, I'm not really liking the demonic realm. They don't like me because I used to be one of them and they hate me. And so they try to kill me. And brain aneurysm was another thing they used. And they came to let me know. We tried to get you with a brain aneurysm, but it wouldn't work because God protected you. You, 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 you think you all that? No, I don't. I know God loves me and I promised him when he saved me that I was serving with everything I have. And so next day or so, next day or so, that, that beautiful thing came in the room. Um, heaven's golden vessel, like a golden vessel came in and, and it picked me up and I could look down and I could see myself laying in the bed, but I didn't know it was me, you know? And so I said, wow, that guy's in bad shape, but now I don't feel nothing. I don't feel no headache. I don't need no ice on my head. I feel like I'm brand new, no pain, no nothing. But while I was in my body, I was feeling horrible. And then like a blink of an eye, this thing took me into paradise. Oh, glory to God. That's what I talk about in this book, stuff that happened too. Got to get your hands on it. It'll bless you. It will bless you. I'm we'll you post it in me. the description for you too. Hmm? We'll post it in the description. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And so I got there and this angel, this angel, he opened the door for me and I stepped out of, of that beautiful thing. I could have, I could have went all around the universe in that thing. That thing was so, so, so awesome and so beautiful. And then I got out, and the angel opened the door, and he said, he said, "Come on." And I was like, "Whoa! Oh, oh my God! I know what my son is seeing. I know what my mother and my mother-in-law is seeing. I know the saints of God is seeing. Oh my, nonstop, 24 hours a day." seven days a week and I and I was there with them and and I looked I looked Jennifer I looked at the grass I looked at the grass and it was so beautiful it looked like somebody got down their hands and knees with some scissors and manicured each blade just cut them down perfectly and watch this now hold on till you see you hold on till you see I'm holding on hold on hold on <laughs> Just let go. Wait, let me hold back on. Okay. Yeah, grab, get you a big, good grip on that seat. Each blade of grass had a diamond, emerald, or sapphire in it. I heard this before. I've heard diamonds. I didn't know so sapphires. All of it. All of them. In the, in the grass. Who put those in grass? How big were they? Were they like little little pieces or were I'm they? I'm there today. You know, so regular. You know, it wasn't like you had to chop them down with a with a, a, a machete to get through. No, it was it was like a little bigger than a, a a golf course. Yeah, it was really nice, and it was so beautiful. And you know, there's like 300 different shades of green, right? They said I didn't know that. I only thought there were yeah. a few. Oh yeah, by the lawns I see outside. Uh, there's, there's even one named after Kelly. There's a Kelly Green. There's really? Mint. Yeah, yeah. And there's 300 shades on this planet. But when I saw that green, you don't see nothing iridescent like that on this planet. I've been all over this planet. I've been to China, Pakistan, Russia. I've been all over this planet, Spain, Malta. I've been to Europe, the, the Netherlands. I've been all over the world with the tulips and all that stuff. I never seen not one blade of blade to that word. Blade, 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 blade of glass. Grass. 
Yeah, that New York comes out er now and then. Er, er now and then. Yeah, er now and then. <laughs> Blade of grass. Wow. Okay. Never, never, Jennifer, never have I ever seen a blade of grass look like that grass. And so the angel said, he said, come on, walk. Go ahead. Walk, walk on it. And I was like, you walk on grass with diamonds and, and, and jewels in it? He said, yeah, walk on them, walk. And so I'm thinking, because they're diamonds and stuff, you know, there's diamonds in the, in the grass that they're going to be hard, you know, like, like they're walking on something hard. Or as I walked, as I walked on it, it was, they were soft as cotton. Oh, glory to God. It's like walking on cotton. Wow. So obviously there was no pain because you're in heaven. No pain up there. Well, really quickly, how long, what was the transition between, the transition time between when you were looking at yourself saying, wow, that guy looks like he's in bad shape to when you went to heaven? How long would you say that was? It, it seemed like just long enough to realize that that was me. Oh, and wow. then once I realized that was me, then off I went. And then <laughs> how long was the commute, would you say? Like that. See my eyesight? Uh-huh. Blink like, of an eye. That's right. It don't take long. God don't take long. He's ready to do something. Like, there you go. Amen. Opposite from the body is where you be instantly with the Lord. That's how it happened. And I saw some marvelous stuff. I saw flowers that you've never seen. Like I said, I traveled this world, never seen flowers like that. I saw the crystal. I saw a crystal river, like liquid diamonds, coming out of this big, solid gold building and water was coming out but I went down there and I put my hand in it I wanted to drink it I wanted to put it in my pockets I wanted to bathe in it I, I mean there was so much stuff I saw some of the saints of God that was on the other side of, of that of that river and I asked them I said can I come over there with you can I come over there with you and they said no it's not your time you got to go back you're not finished also well, I'm finished I'm done with that you don't know what I'm dealing with down there in that hospital you know, they're trying to kill me, pumpkin head things coming. I've been down to the pit of hell. What are you talking about going back? Oh, no, 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 Brother Earthquake ain't going back down no more. Done, over, and out. Pull the plug, I'm out of here. They said, no, 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 no. And so the angel told me, he said, walk around. I'm telling you, you have not seen houses like this ever. I just knew that I didn't want to wake up. I did. I knew that I just want to go to be with the Lord. Immediately, the... This, the heaviness just dropped fell into my body and I had suddenly no joy, no peace, no nothing. It just like, and now looking back, that's the spirit of depression because, you know, in the book of Isaiah 61, the spirit, there is a spirit of depression and how we overcome that is to put in the garment of praise, thanking God. But because I literally, I said, I don't, I don't want to be here, Lord, take me with you take me with you I don't want to be here at all so that's why it fell it came into me in, in that second in that split second and were you yeah. born again at the time no no because I was still searching and so that that when I literally was going through a couple of years of depression when my mom when heard the news my mother had cancer it even took took me down further at the bottom of the pit it's like there's no way out. Everything seems just so dark and so gloomy and so lost. I just, I didn't know how to get out of that state. It's like I was trapped so dark and just so, I mean, I, 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 I'm sure people who's going through that just, 
you know and so i cry out i listen to christian music i i said lord help me i don't know how to get out help me i i literally every night driving home from work or elsewhere training i just cry i i didn't have the answer at all until june 2017 i had a dream and in that dream i was standing outside the gate and i knew that i wanted to get inside that gate yes the gate of where i knew i was up in heaven I was standing at like because the design the door everything is not of this earth the wooden door but it's not of this earth and I knew I was up there up in heaven I was standing outside the door and the door was not open but I have my hand up like this and I I'm thinking to myself I want to go inside that 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 door inside and as soon as I had that thought I heard God's voice that come in <laughs> right because I thought and he said come in but as soon as he said come in I'm already inside Like he said come in I'm in. Like it's like last in a second, right? God speak, you're there, right? You don't even have to like take a car, drive anything. So he said come in, I'm in. And so I was standing in front of this huge book. Wait, really quickly, because this is what yeah. we're going to talk about. This oh. is the, <laughs> this one, <laughs> this is exactly what we were edging towards. The big <laughs> book. Yeah. What happened. What did you see? You know, at that time I was still a Catholic Jennifer. So I had no clue. I didn't even know that was the book of life. So as soon as God said come in, I was already inside and he let me standing in front of this book and the book is super thick and super big. And so the Lord have already have the book open already. And he said to me, he said, "Look at all these people, past, present, future. Most wealthy, most powerful, most famous all over the world." And he kept saying Look at all these people, past, present, future, most powerful, most wealthy, most famous. And so the Lord flipped those pages and he kept saying that most powerful, most wealthy, most famous, past, present, future all over the world. Look at look at all these people. And so all the names, all the pages just ripped off that book. It just came off by itself and it burned into ashes right in front of my face. And I remember the pages, the Lord flipped was like at least 100 miles per hour. Because can you imagine past, present, future, all the pages, it's so thick, right? And so I didn't know that was the book of life and Jesus kept saying look at all these people past present future most powerful most wealthy most famous all over the world. And so all those pages just came off that book and boom 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 fellas ashes black ashes in front of my face for a very long time. And and like I said Jesus he's he doesn't talk much he only say what he needs to say he said look at all these people past present future most powerful most wealthy most famous all over the world and all those pages just came off that book and after a while and then when it's done i saw jesus appear out of that book and he was standing in front of me just a few feet away and there's a door in front of jesus so i saw his back his back was facing me he didn't leave me He appear out there's a door to walk over the other side and he was waiting for me patiently lovingly gently quietly and he did not say anything once he sent he stood there waiting for me so i woke up wow. <laughs> so i'm like okay that was wow i wake up in this place again and i already know where i where i am i know i'm in heaven but i see this um this uh this open vendor you know it but it's not like a tent vendor it's it's like um it's like if you went to a general store <laughs> remind me of like an old western but not you know but but the front part is open open there's no door to like make you feel 
you know, okay, yeah, I'm totally welcome here. You know, there was no door, so you feel welcome, you know? And on all the shelves, there were these beautiful gems, uh, beautiful stones from amethyst to jade. Um, I remember some like crystally type, you know, and some of them were like these, these rocks that were cut in half. And uh, there were also on the shelves in this store and in the cases, there were these hand carved, you know, when you take a chisel and you just, you know, uh, just all these handcrafted uh, crafts that were of boats. Some of them were um, of like animals and they had that heavenly look to them, you know, where it was more presence, more detail. It was shinier. It was brighter. And even when you touch them, you know, like you were, you didn't feel, oh boy, I can't take that off the shelf you know what if I drop it you know you pay it you, you pay for it you buy it right so <laughs> you know you had no fear of breaking something here too I noticed that and also I knew you didn't have to pay for any of it that and that caught me off guard like my earthly brain was kicking and I thought I don't have to there's no transaction there's no tender you know what I mean there's I, I didn't even see a, a cash rate so and I see the I see the worker in there, the clerk, and she has this long black hair, and and she walks over, and you know she has this glow to her dress, and she says hello, and I said hi, <laughs> and then she spoke silently, but it was louder than us, so we did speak out loud, but then we switched. It was it was weird. It was we switched to the the heart talk, what I call heart talk, our hearts talking. And, and then she goes back to like, you know, I guess like adjusting things and in the store. And I saw her name, I saw her name tag. It said Mizpah, uh, you know, and, and I was thinking, okay, gotta remember that. I met Mizpah in the store in heaven. I was writing it in my head, Mizpah. I gotta write that down when Jesus puts me back on earth. <laughs> I don't want to forget this. I got to take notes, you know, because I don't know when I'm going to wake up. I was thinking that too, Jennifer. I was, I don't know when I'm going to wake up just like the, like the other time. I don't know how long he's going to give me. I got to absorb everything like a sponge. Okay. And, uh, and then I walked out the store. I felt my spirit was like prompting me. and there were all these other people. And I saw some of them like, you know, in their, in their late teens, uh, a lot of them were twenties and thirties. I did not see anyone older than, you know, above 30. Um, I've, I've noticed that right away. I was looking for someone older, like a 50 year old, or I didn't see it. I, I did not see anyone older than that. Besides me trying to, you know, understand, you know, like what, what he's going to show me next, all of a sudden this adult, a little distance away, says, the Lord is coming. The Lord, Jesus is coming. And I think, oh boy, <laughs> you know? And then as far as I can see, like outside the store, these adults, some of them start kneeling in this like fashion, you know, as if he's gonna come, to, as if, you know, Jesus is gonna come down the middle, so they would make a path and they walk down the middle. And then, and the, and the men, uh, the, one, of the, one of the men that was next to me was kneeling on one knee. I guess that was his thing. And some of them were all the way bowed and some of them were standing up. 
and were like, you know, had their hands in prayer. And uh, me, I knelt down at first. And, but then afterwards, when he got closer, I stood up and I started yelling. <laughs> so I started yelling, Jesus, I love you. And I started yelling it louder. And, 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 the, and, and the man next to me says, it's so loud. <laughs> You know, and then and then I even did this. I, you know, so I started yelling again. You know, <laughs> and I can see him, you know, losing his patience. And then I see him, like, give up, like, Ugh. and he was just doing this, looking at me like, oh, okay. Well, anyway, this nurse took my hand and she looked in my eyes and she was so motherly, just so maternal and gentle with me. And she said, I, I had grabbed her hand. I said, promise me you're not going to let me die. And she said, oh, honey. We have many solutions for this. We're not going to let you die. I was comforted by that, and then it gave me some painkiller. And unfortunately, they made some boo-boos, and uh, they left me alone in that room. And again, my friend Effie was with me. He was at my left. And uh, he said that at one point, he looked at the blood pressure cuff, and it went to 32 over 25. And he knew I was pretty much gone at that point. But he stood up to go get help. And then uh, he said, I tried to sit up. My eyes popped open. I had been unconscious. My eyes popped open. I tried to sit up on the gurney. He said, you, you could not sit up, but you reached your arms up to heaven and talked to somebody only you could see. And you Which don't remember cool. any of this. I do not remember any of that. But he said, you reached up to heaven. And he said, uh, you wiggled your fingers as if you were reaching up for uh, you know, like a parent to pick you up. And he said, after that, your hands flopped down to your side. And he said, and then your blood pressure went to error, which meant it was lower than 32 over 25. And meanwhile, I'm having a great time. <laughs> I was in a deep dreamless state during this time. I was unconscious, but I remember waking up as my soul left my body. And my soul was literally catapulted out of my body. It was very dramatic. It was right on the cusp of being jarring, but not jarring. And it was great. It was so fun. It was a blast. And I mean, I was just went fling, just pop. And you know, at the moment my soul left my body, I heard, um, I've heard others describe it as a pop or a ping. One author described it as a stone, as the sound a stone makes when it hits a, a small brook. And that's a good description, but I heard this pop. I was like, whoa, and I was just slowly catapulted. Very, and I, I remember feeling like there was a silvery, sinewy strand from the crown of my head to the heel of my foot. And it was like an archer's bow that somebody had pulled back on and let loose. And with that, that's when my soul went flying out. And so I was catapulted into this perfect blackness. And it was just so fun. And I was floating. And I mean, I'm that person that when I sit in the passenger seat of a car, I'm like, you're going to miss the light. Oh, turn right here. Oh, slow down. Speed up. You know, and I was floating. and I was so happy, just so happy. And I'm looking back. I'm like, I didn't know where we were going. I don't know what, you know, I don't know what path we're on, but I'm like, oh, this is great. And, you know, there were so many things that happened instantly, but one of them was, it was like this whole 59 years on earth was like a dream. It was like waking up from a very intense dream. And those 59 years felt like they had been that long felt like it been a second and I thought all those problems and all those worries and all that crap I took so seriously and you know what it was pretty darn in inconsequential and I thought wow I, I put so much weight and heaviness on that earth experience and it turns out it wasn't any big deal and now it's over and the other thing very early on I thought I'm dying and then I thought well actually you're not dying you're dead <laughs> and I thought that's pretty funny 
And I laughed out loud and I heard my giggle. And I also thought, you know, I don't have breath sounds. I'm pretty sure I don't have vocal cords and I don't know about ears and the rest or yeah, ears. I'm, but I'm producing sound and I'm hearing the sound and I sound like I've always sounded. I sound like me. And I even had my, and I thought it was pretty cool. I still had my bizarre sense of humor that, you know, here I am going on to my reward and I'm correcting my tense because the most important thing when you're dying is making sure your English is proper. And I thought it's pretty darn funny that I'm doing that as I'm dying. So it, I realized at that moment that every single thing we are goes with us and that literally there is no death. And that may not be true for the people left behind because they're experiencing your absence. But for the person having the experience, there is no death. And I thought every single thing I am, my memories, all of it, I thought about Bible verses. I thought that's so cool because my brain is laying back on that gurney, pretty much seven pounds of hamburger meat that no, no longer has blood or oxygen. But I remember the Bible verses, you know, I remember everything. And I even thought about the fact that I had struggled so mightily with suicidal ideation. You know, I thought I, I had a plan. I knew how I was going to kill myself, and I would fantasize about that, which is twisted, I know. But when you get that dark, that down in the hole, I was pretty messed up. So I was, I was so grateful to be dead, and so grateful that I had not done this to myself. And and I thought it was pretty cool. I thought about my husband's suicide and how much pain that had caused me, and that I hadn't done that to my children. I hadn't done that to my family. That this was a medical mis This would be diagnosed as a medical mistake. That took my life and I was so comforted by that there were so many thoughts that came into me from so many places all at once I guess one of the very first thoughts was my heart has stopped I, I said that physically said that people people said well you were telepathically communicating no 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 I lived alone with a dog for a long time and I talked to the dog and I talked to me and I talked to the worm outside and I talked to the little fly I catch to take him outside I talked to everything about it I talk out loud all the time I was talking out loud and I heard myself talk so one of the first things I said was my heart is stopped and I said how do I know that so I don't know but I know that's right and by the way let it later there would be a medical affirmation that that technically is what happened I ran out of blood and my heart just stopped I was at the platform this is platform where the throne is placed it's a translucent like crystal glass gold platform but the platform is so huge so massive in kilometers and there were hundreds and thousands, if not millions of saints. And there were angels, different angels, some with wings, others without wings. They were all there. And I noticed that we were right there where the throne was because we were right central. I could see the, uh, and, and not only that, the Shekinah glory, the glory that, you know, of the presence of the Lord that radiates from God himself, that glory. I was saying before that uh, had I been there in my body, my body would, would have been obliterated. It's like being right next to an atomic bomb, but not that kind of power. I'm talking about a trillion times brighter than the sun. Why do you say that? Because that's the impression I got that straight away. This is a trillion. So in heaven, any measurements, anything you look at, it, everything's accurate. Everything's perfect. So you can see even the dimensions of things and you can tell how massive and how big they are. So it's not just to exaggerate. This is how literally it is that when you when I saw the Shekinah glory and just glowing all from there, from the very center to all of heaven, this is what's this is what's shining throughout heaven. There's no shadow. There are no shadows in heaven. It's just glory and glory, glory. But there I was at the throne 
and uh, and this glory was shining and of course to my amazement I was shocked but I knew where I was but pleasantly shocked so there goes my theology <laughs> my Baptist theology and 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 I, I've told that to many ministers your theology will just scatter and disintegrate to nothingness because the Lord is greater and then of course I see all that glory and then all of a sudden I see everybody around me every for kilometers they all just turned around and looked to that glory with great expectation with great joy there was no announcement but they knew that the Lord Jesus was coming out of that glory nobody stood there and said hey he 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 here comes Jesus it just appeared and he walks out of that glory and I saw my master my king and when I saw him, he was only about literally 50 meters away from where I was. He comes out of the glory with a beautiful uh, kingly robe to his feet. And he had actually, I didn't say this before, he had a blue sash came from his shoulders across his chest to the waist, wrapped around and falls on his right hand side. Beautiful blue sash all the way to his feet. But this blue is no, there's no comparison to the blues here. I'm sorry, guys. The blues here are like ash in comparison <laughs> to that blue there. <laughs> and then I was looking at the streets of gold. I, I bent down literally and I was looking like this. Look at the streets. I'm telling the group there, look at the streets of gold. Look how beautiful the Lord has created this for us. I was, I think, more of a guide at that time and uh, but I was expressing myself with such delight and joy and I could see that and uh, I was rejoicing to see the streets of gold translucent clear crystal gold beautiful like nothing here on earth there's nothing like that here on earth nothing no comparison even the greatest mansion here the best mansion that can cost a hundred million dollars is like a tip like a dump in comparison there's no comparison i'm telling you and then my dear friends uh i went to another section where there were angels waiting for us and we're all coming together and there was one couple that i knew that i know they're still alive but they were there and uh in this section i saw the thrones where we're going to be seated with christ beautiful thrones white thrones we are already seated with christ in heavenly places right now but the Lord allowed me to see these thrones. And this couple came around me in front of me because the angel, one of them, escorted them so gently to come and sit down and said, please sit down. The angels are there to serve us. And the, the, these believers couldn't believe it. The radiance of joy and gladness. And they were touching the throne and then they turned around to sit down. And the very motion of just touching the, the, the throne and sitting down was acceleration to the maximum of joy for them and they were just rejoicing in the lord and all of a sudden another angel comes and he brings them something it was like a harp but that made out of jewels and gold and uh, all these things and it was just glorious and they rejoiced so much in that because they knew they were going to sing to the lord you see in heaven there's constant worship and it comes from within you and it just flows you don't have to go to someone and say, can you teach me a little song here? Because I don't know any songs. It just flows. 
do you think I would have died and went to heaven just out of the blue, just because Karina is special? No, you don't have to die. You will have the same experience if you pray. You have, you ask God, show me heaven, show me. You ask and you should receive. It's not, it's not a lie. God does not lie. Now, why is it that you don't see it? Why is it because you're so busy in your mind? You shut your mind, shut your ears, shut your phones, stay away from things at least for a week if you have to, but you need to come still. God is a spirit, not a flesh. And we want things now, now. Trust me, two years I've suffered because I wanted God. The moment I met God, I want that every day. And I'm not gonna have it every day, not in this flesh. So I have to have his way and not my way. I have to sit down for hours sometimes. Because why? Because I didn't thought of things that I should have. So our thoughts, our choices, our will block the communication of God. It's not, he's talking to you the whole time. He never left you and forsake you. That's so true. Do you think I'll be talking to you right now if he would really left me? No. You know, and so I stop with that doubt. Now, when I see this angel, I can't, you cannot describe them because you're not able to see them like we see each other. I wasn't even to describe who I saw celebrating me, but I was able to identify my pets. Does it make sense? So why is that? Because God wants to guarantee my peace that he promised. He wanted to say, look, for sure you're gonna know that you're in heaven because you have this pet that you love and you cry for, for an entire year. I cried for my dog for a year, okay? My whole household did. It took forever for us to take take these dogs that we have now, because God said so. He said, get some more dogs. So we did, not one, but three. So as I'm walking in here, this is a box. When I came down, I said it was a box, but then it was a squirrel. It was like all in one, right? And I was given that. <laughs> It was given a scroll. And I had no idea this is all in the Bible. Then I'm taken with two angels to see heaven. And I I know this because I have seen people commenting on other, but when I said that I was flying, I'm, I'm floating, okay? I guess that would be a better word. I'm floating on top of the heavens and I can see this massive tree, massive, a tree of life. That's what the angel said. And then I see a river, beautiful cliffs. I mean, you can see through it, you can breathe through it. Why do you think the, 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 I keep telling people, water is so important into our lives because it's connected with heaven. Why do you think babies can breathe inside? It's the holy water, it's the, the living waters from the living, from, from the uh, river of life. Baby and your, and your stomach are still connected to heaven. You pregnant, you have heavens in you. You're carrying something that nobody can have at the moment. Like I, I can't have kids and I wish I would have known this before because I would be like praying all the time, touching, speaking to that tummy so I can connect with God, you know? And so, oh my gosh, I can tell you more and more. But when I see this, I, I, I pass this beautiful area with kids in this mountain and almost I can zoom in into seeing this beautiful, she looked like she had an Afro, kind of like a half a year old. And she's waving at me, she's smiling. And her eyes are sparkly, like really sparkly, like this light that you see in Jesus' eyes. 
this light, this beautiful light. And then so the twins, but I didn't see their twin spaces. I just knew they were twins because they went like this at the same time. And I asked the angel, I'm thinking, I said, who are they? They're so cute. And he said, those are your grandkids. And I go, oh, okay. So I'm, you know, passing by and I see, you know, I'm seeing massive sunflowers. I am seeing flowers and plants and green. I just beautiful. And the colors, oh my God, these colors are fake. <laughs> this is all fake. And I'm like, no, they're deeper, they're richer, they have flavor, they have scent, the, 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 everything is just so pure and beautiful. And it's all bright and you don't have, there's no shadows, there's no darkness, there's peace, there's love, there's joy. Then I get into where I know that I know is my house. And I'm like in front of it, but I can't tell you, I know it's close to water <laughs> and it's close to water. And I know it was it was a huge land because I heard God said, he said, do you want to come home? That you wanted to go back? Do you want to go back? That's what he said, do you want to go back? And I didn't think, I said, yes. And I turn around and he tells the angels, give her all the gifts that she wants and needs. And I was like, Oh yeah, so I need, this is how naive I was. I said to the angels, I would like um, white horses with wings because my my 15 year old, my at that time was 13, 14 years old, 14 year old daughter likes um, white horses with wings and my son likes football and then my daughter likes soccer. So maybe a soccer field. And I'm like literally naive of what he's talking about, okay? I now understand about the gifts. So as I am coming out, I just tell God, can I tell everybody about what I just saw? And he says, and he kind of like, huh? He says, they're gonna think you're crazy. And I said, but I don't care. I promise you, I will bring us many people back home. That's what I said. And then when I turn around, he says, you are awesome. And I was like, God speaks like that? Like I just like went like that. And I was just smiling, I was so happy. And then I boom, I went down into this glass, floor, kind of clear, but you can't see through, big old area, white, bright white, and it was so strong, the glory. Now I understand this is the glory, but there was power. I kept saying power before. The power in there was so strong. So all my, all fours, my forehead is on the ground and I cannot get up. And the more this beam was coming towards me, it was like, I could see the foot at sandals on, and I could see the white gown only for, for the bottom of it. And I try to see who it is. I just knew immediately closer that he got to me that that was my savior. He never said hi on Jesus. He, I just knew he was my savior. And I was going through this vortex. I don't know how to explain it, but I was like going through at great speed. It was just flying and I'm seeing these lights just go past and there's this little light at the end of this vortex or this tunnel and these, it's streams of light and it looks like I'm shooting through stars at warp speed. We didn't have any warp speed tech technology special effects back then, but that's what I was seeing, just going through something at great speed. And then I see this light and it comes at me like this 
and I hit the ground running. And I'm like, I don't know how I knew to run, but I'm suddenly in heaven and I can see the green pastures, the trees, the the sky, everything is alive with God. And I'm looking in the distance and I'm running like, you know, speed as fast as I can. In the distance, I see someone running towards me. And he's this big, and then he goes, he's here. It's my brother. And we just came together like, bam, and I'm holding him, and he's holding me, squeezing me. And I got my head against his neck, and he's just swinging me around, and I'm holding on, and I'm filled, just filled with joy like you can't believe. Filled to the brim with amazing, amazing joy. And I finally stepped back to look at him. He is flawless. There's no scars. There's no cut above his eye where he was beat by our dad. There's no cut on it, scars on his face. There's no cross tattoo on his chest anymore. There's He's whole and he's strong. He looks like a beach boy. He's got the tan. He's got beautiful hair. And he's glowing. He looks amazing. And his eyes were full of light. And we're talking trying to get caught up with each other and I asked him questions and we conversed and he didn't remember anything bad from earth he didn't remember the abuse he didn't remember anything bad what he remembered was me speaking to him by his bedside he remembered my words and uh it was very touching moment it was so wonderful to see him And then in the distance, I see family running towards me, like running speed. And they come and they put their arms around me and, you know, how you doing? And and I'm here I am looking at my brother and I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, uh, hi, yeah, okay. Anyway, and I turn my attention to my brother because he was the one who had died. What I didn't know at that time, these family members had not passed away yet. They were still alive. But they eventually passed away before me. Now, so how God soon? Did, huh? I was going to ask. So, how soon after did these people pass away? Years. Wow. Many, many years. So, time doesn't obviously time doesn't exist in heaven. Not like we have linear time here. Linear time here is allows us to have um, redemption. We're given this opportunity in this linear context to learn, make errors, recover, redeem. Just just along this line we call, you know, a linear existence. It's it's a uh, it, it doesn't exist that way in heaven. It doesn't exist that way. I felt like I was there for two weeks. I mean, I was just even in the void. It felt like I was there for days, um, just for the fact that. I asked so many questions, but there, but I realized that this was just, it was not that long at all. It couldn't have been, um, for the time on, on earth, but I'm, my guess is my, my soul did go through different dimensions and there is no concept of time there. Everything's linear, but there, everything happens at once at the same time. You see the past, present and future at the same time. You could see all of it instantaneously. And it feels like you would be there a long time seeing that, but at the same, but I felt like I was there for like two weeks. <laughs> I felt like I was there all for a very long time. I was convinced I wasn't going back. <laughs> 
I bet. I mean, I always hear people when they go to heaven, they never want to come back. Even if they have loved ones on earth, it's something about the love and the hominess of heaven. Yes. That, that's where they're supposed to be. So you were only yeah. five years old talking mm -hmm. like I haven't, you know, uh, lived up my purpose or I can do more. What made you feel like this at five years old to feel as if you didn't fulfill your purpose yet? I feel like our souls are predestined and it talks about that in the Bible, how we, God has a predestined purpose for anyone that he calls. So I feel like our souls automatically have a legal contract with God to do what we're supposed to do here. Uh, every person that is born, I felt you, you just know what you're supposed to do here. So when you die, you have to take accountability for that. You have to, you have to understand that you have to go and be like, you know, you could do the best that you can in it, but there is a purpose here for you. I just, my soul just, not, it was just like one of those common knowledge thing. It was just like, you know, if water's wet or not, like you just knew. I don't know how else to say that, it, but I just knew inside of me that I had to do something. It was as if your soul just knew, like, like you said, yes. your soul knew what your physical mind didn't realize yet. That's so powerful. Now, yeah. I want you to tell me about the sorrow part of heaven, because uh, you said that you were able to feel the emotion and the hurt that your family would experience. So how can mm -hmm. you pair that with heaven being perfect and no sorrow? How do you, how do you mm -hmm. explain that? I don't, other than I think God, that Jesus allowed it. I think Jesus allows us to know things. It wasn't my sorrow that I was feeling. It was theirs. So you're capable of feeling the sorrow of who he allowed. So through the screen, I was able to look into their life and their emotion. I was able to look into this part of them that no one else but God can see, I guess. It was like a, I don't know, a direct link from Jesus to, to those people. And you explained about, or you shared with us how your father's life would have looked like had you stayed in heaven. But you didn't elaborate too much on what your mother and your twin sister's life would look like what did mm -hmm. you see you, that their life would look like had you had stayed in heaven what would happen to them it was pretty much the same thing other you know they had different sorrows but they all took different takes i think what it is is it was it just showed that their life i don't know how to explain it other than when you saw the picture and you could see their emotions i saw my dad on the the seat and it all happened so quickly and instantaneously then um he would it was like he showed me my dad and then he showed me my mother's life and it, i would see her standing in the kitchen just crying and then it would just and it, but then it was like on fast forward just show that it was that same gray pattern that same i want to say gray just because it felt like a there was a heaviness there was this sadness that was throughout their whole life and the things that they were meant to do and their life purpose would be hindered if I didn't go back and then once that still wasn't enough for me to convince me to stay even though I was sad and that was awful I knew that they would be with me quickly I think that's why he showed me my life um, because I had work to do to make sure that I was 
a mother to my sons because they have work to do. And if you're not there to do those things, if you're not in that, and it's not just even just your immediate family, it's also people you walk by on the street. Like you're, you know, if you're sad and you're heavy, you're not gonna be happy to see or loving towards someone else. Um, I just felt that they're, not that they wouldn't be able to complete their purpose, it would just be a very hard experience for them to get through a harder way of life for them to get through if I didn't go back. Well, what I found out what going through this here is able to help other people. And I'm not saying that you have to experience all of these things to help other people, but I understand that, that there is a real, um, hurt that comes that will push people away from God. And they know it's real. And, and I had said to myself, I will die and go to, I'm not doing this. I refuse to do this. And if my family had not got to that place, I probably would have not have done it. But Lord was merciful to me and, and reality set in on me. But those people who have church hurt, they need to press past that. Don't let that happen. You know, don't let an incident. I don't care what the incident is that someone let you down. Something happened. Someone lied about you. Uh, mine was just a missed occasion, something I was supposed to go do it. And I, they wouldn't let me do it before, for a reason. Um, uh, and, uh, it wasn't nothing sinful or anything. It was just whatever reason they decided not to let me do some things. And it was very hurt, hurt me at that time. And, um, you know, I, I think too, is that what I learned from this here and taking people through deliverance, that there is a spirit that's called church hurt and it's a demon and that demon comes in. I'm gonna tell you what he does. He comes into people when they are hurt and that spirit talks to them the whole time. Don't you remember what they did to you? Don't you remember how that felt? You're not going to let that ever happen again. And that spirit is there to keep you out of church. And what people need to do is they need to be delivered from a spirit called church hurt. And most people have it. And when we take people through it, it always comes up uh, to a level, whatever it is, that manifestation, and they get set free from that church hurt. But that's most prevalent in a lot of churches today and people. They can be free from it, though. And deliverance is how you get rid of it. You know, you're going to hear me talk about it, identify it, and you say, he's talking to me. And then there is a remedy for it. Of course, the remedy is deliverance. And, and it's not about that you're not a Christian. I mean, I believe you're a Christian, but that hurt is a spirit. And you can get that out, and you can start to repair your life from that moment on. And I, I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that part, how, you know, we all hear it, the memories and and all this stuff because I'm sure everyone who's been to church and who's been to church long enough can resonate with that. There's a, the, for, to understand what happens with people, when we take people through deliverance, the very first thing we always deal with is called unforgiveness. And when we deal with that unforgiveness in a person, you know, the reason why we do that is because Jesus tells us that unless we forgive, then we can't be forgiven. So that's the beginning place. So that if you have unforgiveness in your life, you want to deal with that. So at the beginning of deliverance, that's what we do. We forgive. Tell me what's the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Tell me the worst hurt has ever happened to you. Tell me what it is. And let's go to that point. Let's repent of it. Let's forgive that person. And then what we're going to do. Now, here's the thing, Jennifer. The difference between unforgiveness and a spirit of unforgiveness is what people do not understand. Pastors will preach about unforgiveness and the people will repent. 
but they do not address the spirit that came into them while they were harboring unforgiveness. So while they were holding that unforgiveness, that was the door for a spirit to come in and it's unforgiveness. So when you release that person to the Lord, say, I forgive them, Lord, that spirit is still there. And you know what that spirit says? Don't you remember what they did to you? Don't you remember how that happened to you? Don't you know this here? And that spirit is there. He's trying to get you to pick that unforgiveness back up so that your prayers don't get answered. So what we deal with with unforgiveness is say, tell me what it is. And then we call that spirit of unforgiveness out. The one that carries the hurt and the lie about that situation come out. We call that spirit come out. And when we do that, that spirit leaves. And that's when they're free. You see what I mean? They're, they're not carrying that spirit. Because what happens, the pastor preaches about it. They were cry and repent and go home and they still got the demon in them. See, you're saying things that most people haven't pieced together. So you mentioned the repentance part, and a lot of us believe that that's where it stops. But you're saying that's not where it stops because you have to get to the actual root of where it came from. And that is the demonic spirit that actually put that there or, or enticed you to go there. So if their door has been opened, and because I don't know, and that's what we do in Deliver, say, if I have a spirit of unforgiveness, towards my husband because he cheated on me or towards my coworker or a bad something went I don't know what came in but I do know when if you're there in deliverance process and you're telling me about it it's there it's there, yeah. it's there because that's what we're talking about that's good and that's you can so get good. free we were created in Jesus image and we're all to be like him be holy like him so we're all commanded whether we're in fivefold ministry or not we are all commanded to be like Jesus. And he showed me the leaders were not people who, who stand in positions. The majority of them were not really following him. They're false leaders. And that's scriptural. And if you read Ezekiel 34, he warns about it. He says, I will require the flock at your hand. And he says, you know, you know, that they don't bind up the wounds of the weak. They don't seek after the lost. They, they don't help the bruised and the hurt. And it's true. That's what we're dealing with. And he also warns against, he says, you let the fat sheep bump the lean sheep and muddy the waters. In other words, people that say they're Christians and they're not helping the people who really, we, we're, we're here to help one another, like in Acts 4. 25 through 27 where everybody sold everything and everybody gave and everybody had more than enough this is why we're in this situation unless we turn from our wicked humble ourselves seek his face that's a biggie and turn from our wicked ways we have to turn that's true repentance then he will hear from heaven forgive our sin and heal our land people aren't really doing that you can't just say i'm sorry you have to actually it has to be works of true love it has to be the bible we have to live it out so he let me be in a position my son and i where we're disabled fatherless widowed <laughs> the weakest of them all i have no family that supports us because that's part of it too he says you can't love anybody more than me mother father sister brother son daughter but it's all a paradigm to prove who's going he told me this and of course when jesus tells you something it doesn't matter how profound it is it's it's that's why the disciples could be hung upside down and 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 thrown in in hot oil and like shadrach meshach and abednego 
go in a fiery furnace because his love is all that matters. The only reason we're alive and to be obedient to him. This is what he impressed and compelled me the whole the whole time I was with him. But especially right before he sent me back. And now here we are, 33, it's September 8th, it was of 2022, it was 33 years. And we are exactly in what he showed me. He warned me that, again, it, like it would be, like it says in the Bible, like the days of Noah, and here we are. Here we are. And, and God even said in those times, he will not strive with man forever. What does that mean? You can't just think that Jesus is like this, that's what I mean. His love is discipline. That's why disciples, we're disciples. And that means disciplined one. And that means you do what's written in the word. And people don't want to do that. So I, my son and I, we're paradigms of, of that very entity. And Jesus made it clear that he allowed it because he's going to see who will, who will really stand up and be obedient. And that's why he, he told me and continues to tell me everything because he speaks to us all the time. It's just, do we listen? And even when he's not speaking, it's because then he wants us to wait on him or to fellowship with him or to seek him with all our heart. But either way, we should be communicating with him 24-7. And most people aren't. And it's so urgent. So he's allowing me to be in this position to cry out to cry out desperately for him and for the global remnant army bride of Christ. We've got to get in order because Jesus, the last thing he said, tell them I'm coming quickly. And here we are, we're at it. We're at, we're at, we're at the season. No man knows the time, but we know the season, but it's very clear. You should feel in your heart. I remember, well, before my first NFL preseason game, I was actually uh, studying the word and I was um, also looking up, you know, Deshaun uh, Jackson's highlights because I was playing a new position. I got moved from cornerback to wide receiver. And I remember studying the word and I had asked the Lord, um, you know, impressed that Lord, please make a way to where I could have more time in your word. So after my first, um, you know, uh, preseason, well, actually during the game, I got injured. I tore my lateral meniscus. And um, after I tore my lateral meniscus, I was hurt inside. Um, because football meant everything to me. But during this time, I was able to go to church on Sunday, Wednesday, Wednesday night, and also Friday night prayer as well. So I was spending more time in the Word and just growing. And um, that was truly a blessing for me. And what the Lord had to do was He had to slowly remove this idol from my heart because I loved football. Like football meant everything to me. Like my junior year in college, um, you know, it was to a point to where I thought that I wasn't going to make the National Football League. And I remember having thoughts of taking my own life on the football field, meaning I would run down on kickoff so hard that, you know, if I died, so be it. I, I used to think that it was an honor to die on the football field. And, um, you know, that's not the way that, um, you know, anybody should think, you know, it should be an honor to die for Jesus. You know, we should give everything to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I'm thankful that God had to slowly, uh, you know, take this idol out of my heart and show me that I'm supposed to love him with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and then I can serve him through the game and give him glory. A couple names he has throughout scripture, at least a couple, but two big ones are Satan. That's really more Hebrew, Old Testament. And that means opposer. And he's the one that throws the obstacles in your way. He's the one that tries to get you to slip up, trip up, fall flat on your face. In the New Testament, in Greek, 
As I said earlier, his name is Devil, which is Diablos, which means slanderer. He's the one that lies to you about who you are. And a lot of people think that he lives in his command center in hell, orchestrating all the evil in the world, but that's not actually what the Bible says. The Bible says that he actually roams the earth. The enemy is actually on the earth, opposing and accusing. That's what he does, trying to get you to slip up and trip up so then he can come and say, oh, look at what you did. Who do you think that you are? That's his accusations. Those are his slander. You see, he can't change God's mind. So instead, he works to change your mind. And that's really so much of the bulk of what, what he does. The devil is defeated. He was defeated at the cross of Christ. So he doesn't have the power that he once did. He doesn't have the power to separate you from God anymore because the blood of Christ cancels his accusations. It has canceled the power of sin in your life. So that power no longer exists. So the only power the enemy has is what I kind of call the power of persuasion. And that's the power to try to convince you that you aren't who God says that you are, that you don't have what he says that you have. That's why so much of what I go through, especially in my book, Shut Up Devil, is all about overcoming what he does in your mind. Because this is where he starts. If he gets you in your mind, then he gets you in your mouth, and that just trickles down to the rest of you, to your behaviors, to how you live, and everything else. It all starts with your thinking, with your believing. And in the book, as I go through who the devil is, I talk about what, what Peter said about who the devil is. He likened him to a roaring lion. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, watch out, stay alert for your great enemy, the devil, the slanderer, in other words, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. And I go through the specifics of what the lion does and why particularly Peter likened him to a lion, which was not coincidental. But the short of it is that a lion has a small heart and lungs compared to the rest of the size of its body, which means that it is one of the slowest runners in the animal kingdom. A lion doesn't have stamina to last for very long, which changes how he hunts. He can't just see his victim off in the distance and decide to go after it the moment he sees it. No, he has to study it. He has to determine what is its weaknesses, what's the opportune time to go after it. And then he waits for that opportune time, and then the lion jumps up, he pounces and goes for the head plays with the head a little bit in order to get to its victim's mouth. A lion kills through suffocation. And it's the same thing with the enemy. He waits and studies our lives to determine what are our weaknesses. When he determines our weaknesses, those are what he uses at his opportune time to go for our minds, put in those questions, those doubts. Who do you think that you are? Did God really say, are you even really a Christian? all in order to convince you that you aren't who God says that you are so that you'll talk about yourself that way, so that you're align, you'll align your mouth with his words instead of God's words, which will affect how you live. The devil, too, goes for the mind to get to the mouth to change the rest of your life. That's who he is as the slanderer. So I was praying, and suddenly I was in the Spirit, and I saw the Father's throne far off. And it was like up, like I, the, the roof of the church disappeared. There was no sky. I mean, I just saw the father on his throne way up there. And I saw the cherubs around the throne. And the cherubs are, are uh, multi-winged 
uh, angelic creatures that are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They're seen in Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 5, uh, especially Revelation 4, around the Father's throne. And suddenly, like a bolt of lightning, just right in front of me, and there stood a cherub. And he's about five and a half feet tall. They're not very big, you know, five, five or so. And I'm not a real, real good, because I'm so tall, I'm not a real, real good judge of of height and everything of shorter people <laughs> but he's definitely shorter than than like my guardian angel and, and others i've seen but but he came and and there was a, a a message there you know from the father and i knew a little bit because i'd studied it and everything i knew that um that in isaiah 6 they're called seraphs which seraph is the hebrew word meaning burning one and I know that when they move, because I've been in heaven, I've seen when they beat their wings, it becomes a ball of fire. It just ignites and becomes a, a ball of fire. I showed that in our first interview, I believe. But here was this cherub there. And I said, what was that? I said, you came as a bolt of lightning. And I had a reference in my mind to Ezekiel chapter one. There was something about a reference about the cherubs that he saw come and go as a flash of lightning in the day of a storm, you know? And I said, what is that? And he looked at me and he said, he said, what is lightning on the earth? And I said, well, lightning uh, basically equalizes the charge between heaven and earth, whether it's a cloud to ground or ground to cloud, it equalizes the difference, the differences between heaven and earth. And he said, think of us as God's equalizers. <laughs> and then he was gone. He delivered the message, then he was gone, and the whole thing disappeared. And it was like, wow, that, you know, because I pondered, why does the Father even need angels? You know, what is his purpose? You know, he's God. But he he loves to create, obviously, and for whatever reason, he uses that realm to uh, to bring equalization. And, it, so, you know, all sorts of scriptures start going through my mind, like the Lord's Prayer. You know, your may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is this continual process of the Father wants his will to be done, but he's in, in heaven where nobody opposes him, and he wants it to be done on earth. And so there's this continual flow from heaven to earth until eventually his kingdom will fill the whole earth as the waters cover the globe. You know, his, his glory will fill the earth. But there's this flow, this equalizing going in. And that's like when, when a person is suffering and they are under attack, what are we looking for? We're looking for justice. We're looking for things to be equalized in our lives. June 19th, 2002, my mama sent me to another rehab, but I, I told her I needed help. And uh, I got there and I told people I was like Huey Herman on slam bath. I was skin and bones, you know, stand up 10 more days without eating or sleeping, you know. I mean, I looked horrible, you know. You got a little food, got a little rest, and you got around some people like me talking about what great notebooks we were, talking all that trash talk about the wind we had. Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to bow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. So you look back, you're going back. And that's exactly what I did. I left out of there, out of the rehab, the Christian rehab, and went back out into the world, back to my drugs, went back to my God, which is the drugs and alcohol. And about three weeks later, I'm cooking methamphetamines in a small trailer. Got the doors bolted down. I'm high, been up for days, and I'm not taking those safety precautions like I did at the very beginning. When we first started off, I'm taking all these safety precautions, ventilation's proper, making sure everything's clean and done right. 
now, you know, this is a couple of years later, I'm cooking the methamphetamine. I'm not having no ventilation. I'm not worried about anything being clean or anything, any safety. I just got the doors bolted down because in my mind, there's police in the trees, police under the trailer. They're everywhere, you know, trying to get to me. And uh, the fumes built up, spark went off the heat lamp and the whole trailer uh, ignites. And then I'm trying to get the doors unlocked. Uh, and I'm trying to get the doors unlocked. Eventually the door comes open and I run outside with second and third degree burns on my body. And of course at two o'clock in the morning, I walk down to these people's house I did not know and beat on their door. And uh, they open the door shocked. This guy standing there all burn up. And uh, so the husband, Mr. Jim, comes and gives me a blanket, wraps me in a blanket, puts me in his car and takes me to the, to the hospital. You said Mr. Jim brought you to the hospital. How did you get to Mr. Jim's area? And when you got there, how long was the commute? And how did you even get there? It was, I don't know, uh, about a quarter of a mile from the trailer that, where I got set on fire at. They lived down the road about a quarter of a mile. And uh, so when I got burnt to get away from the place where we were doing, the, had the drugs and stuff, uh, you know, I just took off walking. And I, I didn't know Mr. Jim, but I knew his son. And I walked down there because I knew he was involved in the same things I was involved in. And I went down there and, you know, just knowing I needed help. And, and I told him some crazy story about getting set on fire with gas and, you know, didn't tell him what I was doing, you know. Of course, I pretty well knew that I was up to no good, you know. Uh, so uh, Mr. Jim would put a blanket on me, put me in his car, began rushing me to the hospital, you know. And, and that was the night when I, on the way to the hospital, all the times I've been in and out of jail, I cried to God. You know, I believe it's one God that I do as well. The devil also believed in travel. I believed in God. God has spoken to me as a child, but I never had fully turned from my sins and trusted God for anything. I'd done things my way all those years. And so I'd never been truly born again. Uh, but this not on the way to the hospital. I hated my life. I hate everything about it, you know. Uh, all the times I've been to jail, I cried to God because I did believe in God. You know, I just wanted him to help me. He was a 911 God, you know. Uh, get me out of this mess I'm in, you know. And, and as soon as I got out of my mess, I returned right back to the drugs and the alcohol. I always tell people a dog will return to its vomit because it's still a dog. That night on the way to the hospital, I was broken, death felt like a victory. The police are looking for me. My family can't stand me. Um, I just owe everybody money. I'm homeless. My life is a wreck, you know. And I just felt like death. You know, death would release me. You know, I just felt like death. If I could just die, it would release me from this pain and this hurt. And that's what I did that night. I died to the old Rodney. I cried out, Lord Jesus, you can take my eyes, my ears, anything you want. But what's left, I'm going to serve you. I made an unconditional surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ that night on the way to the hospital. And that night, the Bible says, for the heart man believes unto righteousness that night, God heard me and I was born again. I become a child of God. I received a new identity. I received a lot of things I didn't realize I was receiving that night. You know, my life was still a mess. It was a mess, you know, but I had become a child of God that night on the way to the hospital. You do not pray to angels. People feel like the angels are a shortcut somehow Oh, well, they're closer to us than, than God. So I can't reach God. God's too far out there. But an angel, I can wrap my brain around. So I, I'll pray to him. No, because that leads all kinds of... That is so awful because uh, this is where the devil gets in. 
Now the devil's got you exactly where he wants you. And he can show you all kinds of phenomenon. He can show you all kinds of parlor tricks and do all of these things to entice you to continue taking your eyes off of the Lord and to in, embark in conversation, to embark in a kind of dialogue. I'll get to that about how to know the difference between God's angels and the false angels that try to deceive you. You see, people, as soon as people start praying to angels and telling them what to do, they get a sense of this false power and that they can do something and have authority. So these demonic forces will go ahead and do their juggling act and perform all of these things because they, they've now got a hook on you and, and pulling your attention off of the divine. Do you realize angels love the Lord with all their heart and all their soul. They love Jesus and they love God. And that's where their eyes and their hearts are. And and so um, they're not about to be um, distracted by any of us and take our, uh, to, to do these these tricks to please us. And this is where people get really messed up. I was rolled down the room about 10.30. And so this is probably about 1.30 in the morning, you know, that I've been, just praying and crying out to God. And I thought, you know, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe I can hang in here. Maybe I can make it. I, I knew I had to make it to the morning light, you know, to, to, to live. And, 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 and really my prayer, Jennifer, is it was not even for myself. My prayer was this, you know, God, God, just let me live, God, to see my daughter get more established in the faith. God, let me live to see my daughter become more independent. Lord, let me live to see her get more mature, God, to where she doesn't need me. I'm just, you know, a father just crying out for his only child. And, you know, that was my prayer. I, I, I did not want to, to leave this earth. Uh, I wanted to hang around longer to shepherd her more and to be her dad. And, you know, just, uh, I mean, it's just me and God, you know, you got to get real. There's, there's nobody, there's nobody there to impress. There's nobody there to put on. And, you know, I mean, I'm crying, I'm crying, God, you know, spare my life. God, extend my days, uh, all, all of the different Psalms, you know, make haste, oh Lord, make haste to deliver me, God, crying out on that. And, you know, after a period of time of praying like this, I, I felt that surge of power just leave me. And it, it just, uh, you know, I find myself just getting desperate again, crying out to God even more. And after a period of time, just a scripture that popped into my mind was Romans 8:26, And it talks about just really just another level of prayer, how that, you know, the spirit makes intercession for us, which groanings that we can't even, we don't even have words for it. I find myself there and I'm just groaning in the spirit like I've never done, just, oh. Oh, oh, and just crying out from the depth of my belly, just, God, God, help me, oh, God, and I was just doing this, just, you know, 20, 30 minutes or so, just weeping, crying out to God, and just in that groaning intercession, just the depth of prayer, you know, I opened up my eyes, and I look, and <clears throat> my whole body is covered in this white light. You know, it's not like a light you think of when you turn a light on. This light is like frosted. It's glowing. It's it's like particles moving and bouncing around my arms and everything and on my chest. And I'm just like, wow, you know, I'm just 
shocked at first. I think, man, I'm fixing to die. You know, my first reaction was, I've heard stories about these different saints that, you know, they see the light and, you know, they look up and, you know, they see the angels or the heavens or they see Christ and, you know, they breathe their last breath, they fall back and die and their spirit goes on to be with the Lord. And so I, I had that in the beginning, it, it, was, it was almost like a, you know, I think, well, God's not going to answer my prayers the way I want to. I'm fixing to go out. I'm fixing to, you know, uh, go die and go to heaven. But after, you know, a few minutes and, you know, this light stayed with me for about 30 minutes. It wasn't just bam and it was gone. I just started looking down at my arms and just became fascinated. I just sensed this power and this energy and this love just like just overcome me. And I just had this peace that made my breathing easier as well. You know, I, I got a little bit of a calm state from having a little anxiety in the beginning to think I, this is it. And I just watched that light just dance around my arms and on my body. And it was just so supernatural. It was so beautiful. And again, this was the second sign that God gave me. You know, God didn't give me another sign I'll share. But, you know, this just let me know that God was with me. Well, a spirit spouse can go under many names. Uh, in terms uh, that you'll see in a deliverance ministry. But uh, mainly a spirit spouse definition is a, a demonic spirit that sexually um, attacks a male or female or children of either, of either gender. And it will marry itself to that person uh, through open doors of sin or generational curses. This spirit will um, attach itself and start to molest them in a sexual way. And that would be considered a spirit spouse that considers you as its spouse. You don't consider it as a spouse. It considers you as the spouse. And, uh, and you know, and it starts to treat you um, in such a way that of a true a human would treat a spouse as being caring, loving, jealous. That's what a spirit spouse is. So, but you'll hear the terms like incubus, uh, which is a spirit that attacks um the 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 male spirit that attacks female the succubus spirit is a demonic spirit that attacks uh, a male and then you will have um uh other terms you'll hear things like uh lilith or lilith some people call it lilith or a term called lilith uh, of a specific demonic spirit that uses um a sexual encounters to get what it wants so you hear those terms like that spirit spouse incubus succubus uh, or lilith or lilith these terms are you know are prevalent in deliverance ministers when they're talking about uh sexual encounters uh, from the demonic side as we are growing up in our you know from small child coming up started our bodies developing that the there the exploration the natural exploration of our own bodies uh many times that's the open door that the demonic spirit is waiting for to happen and then there are suggestive type things that happens through our culture through videos through television programs or books and nowadays especially because of schools of telling people how their body works at a very young age and they start to explore those things when they go home that through those suggestive uh, impulses in our own bodies as we're growing that those are the open doors uh, to things now you know I'm gonna say some things Jennifer that 
um, male, female company or those who are listening, um, that here is, you know, on this side of the screen, I am just as embarrassed behind my face <laughs> as saying it, but I have to say it so that it's not uh, innuendos or things, but as people are progressing and they're exploring, that's the doorway that opens up the, uh, the door to a demonic spirit uh, when we're doing those kind of things. And, but I think what it is, is, is it's because we don't want to talk about those very pointed things is be, is, is the doorway that allows the demons to come in and torment our children because we just don't want to speak to the very issue and be bad matter of fact, whether it be mom doing it or dad doing it with the sons and all and in a spiritual way so that they can share with them, their sons and daughters don't do this because that's the open door to a demonic spirit. Well, see nowadays, most people don't believe that they don't believe that there is a demonic spirit. So they don't even share these things with us. And because of that being hidden is the way the wolf is able to uh, ensnare our people. So I was home in Irvine in an apartment with my mom and my brother and my dad was in Korea. And I just had an encounter of a grandpa coming and speaking to me like we're talking now. And he said, hey, I know life is hard. And if you cut your stomach and your neck open, I'll give you 50,000 less years of hell. And then you can go to heaven after 50,000 years of less years. And I was like, that's a great deal. So five minutes of pain for 50,000 less years of hell. And so I grabbed the biggest knife I could find. I wrote my mom a letter saying, mom, I, I'll see you in the netherworld. And I packed up my Jansport bag with everything I could, because I thought maybe I could take you to the netherworld. <laughs> You know, I mean, great is the deception, right? The father of lies comes to steal, kill, destroy. So without the name of Jesus, I was not able to, I was not able to uh, fight, you know. And, and on the 10th day, um, the incident happened. I got on my knees and I uh, slit my throat and my stomach open. And my mom saw it afterwards. She called 911 and the cops came and were wrestling. And they were able to you know, uh, remove the knife from my hand, but it was super difficult because now I'm all battered up, whacked, and I lost 90% of my blood as I as my arteries were cut, so. So were they deep cuts? Yeah, they were. I went to the doctor. I mean, I didn't know, but when 911 came, um, they put me in the stretcher and took me to UCI uh, Medical Center. My mom followed, and I found out it was a 10-hour surgery, and I had two arteries cut. It was shooting out blood. I had a blood transfusion. Luckily, at the right time, the specialist flew in. If he was a few minutes late, I heard it would have been worse. Probably not here. And he was able to tie up the blood vessels. And I was able to live. And I woke up, uh, you know, eight hours later. And, you know, it was, wow. it was God's, God's divine intervention. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. So let's go back just a little bit to when you say you saw this grandpa. So you're in your house and then all of a sudden this man appears and he looks like an old grandpa right mm -hmm. and he tells you about heaven or hell but in buddhism you don't really believe in heaven or hell right actually buddhism does have heaven and hell but it's transitory you can go there come back you go to hell come back out you go to heaven come back out you get reincarnated nobody has a solid system it's all myths and legends and monks of different philosophies so that tells you about how unstructured even buddhism is 
for example, Buddhism has no beginning or end, which scientifically doesn't make sense because you cannot have a finite point of existence with infinite uh, beginning and end mathematically. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be here, right? If we came from infinity and are transing, traveling to infinity. So Buddhism breaks down in the mathematical sense as well. Um, and at the same time, they, they tell you, oh, there's a heaven. Oh, yeah, there's a hell. And nobody knows really how to get there and how to get out and who's in charge. There's so many gods and names. I mean, oh, my gosh. Mumbo jumbo, right? <laughs> That's crazy. So, okay. So you go to the kitchen and you get the longest knife you could find, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you slit your throat and open your stomach. Now, how deep were the cuts? Was it was it long cuts, short cuts? What was it? Well, at first I was afraid. So I made a, I just kind of placed it there. But the cops ran in while I was doing that. And then, then the grandpa was like, you got to do it quick. So I did a big cut and went deep, cut my stomach as hard as I could. And it hurt, you know, and I cut the wrong places. I have scars even in my legs. And I have a long scar going down my stomach and my neck sideways. But I know at the resurrection, you know, they're, they're going to be gone when God gives us our glorified bodies. We're just passing through here. So I didn't get any uh, laser removal or surgery like that, Jennifer. It's part of the testimony. <laughs> right. I agree. That is a huge testimony. Okay. Now, one thing that you have to clear up for me. So you slit your throat, you slit your stomach, and still the police can't get the knife away from you. Is it the drugs that's giving you that adrenaline? What is it? Because you would think if you if you slit your throat and cut your stomach open, you know, you have no energy. So how did you hold on to that knife and how are they wrestling with you? I don't really remember. It was so fast, but they maced me. They whacked me with the bat. And after just maybe a few, like a, less than a minute, they were able to take the knife away. By then, my whole body was cut already and they laid me down on the stretcher. And I remember going in and out of consciousness in the uh, ambulance to go to the uh, to the hospital. Wow. So during your commute, you pass away, correct? Or mm-hmm. did you pass away at the hospital? Both, yeah. I passed out at the commute, opened my eyes again. I was at the hospital. I remember my mom holding my hand and saying, Steve, you got to live through this. Don't, don't die. You know, you, you can do this. And she was crying. And I remember going in and out of consciousness, being on the, uh, the ambulance, uh, the, you know, the the hospital bed with the wheels wow wow and then so during this time was it during this time that your mother you mentioned that she called her buddhist friends and they told her sorry i have things to do yeah yeah we were very disappointed because we called our aunt and our friends there and they said they're doing a silent prayer and they cannot give us any advice i just thought that was really strange it was like a well-coordinated attack of the enemy you know and because they, they never ever told me stuff like that when i needed them the most they didn't they didn't come but guess who came my one my mom had one christian friend it's actually the mom of the house that i was partying at she was praying for her son praying for us little did i know because you know i never went to church and then she called all her christian friends and pastors that she was close with they were prayer warriors from grace ministries international and they came to the hospital prayed all day and night and, uh, and here I am, you know, and they, they led me to the prayer to accept Christ as well as soon as I gained consciousness. So you went out of consciousness. When you are out of consciousness, you go someplace. Where do you go? Yeah, so I had an OB, uh, out-of-body experience, where um, 
as I was losing blood and losing consciousness, instead of you know going to heaven, my uh, spirit left my body, and I started just sinking. Word. And I remember it felt like I was in an elevator that was cut or a roller coaster just falling. And the feelings of hopelessness and despair and condemnation and guilt and fear and every negative feeling you could ever think of was magnified by a hundred. And I kept falling and I land and I look around and it's a place with a lot of people, not just me. It was a place of fire. There was like, I saw a fire, I saw countless people in every direction, like valleys and dark. There was demons that were huge, like wearing capes and like torturing people. And, you know, it's still shocking when I think about it, but I was there and I knew two things instinctively, that I was a sinner, which I never ever had that thought in my life ever. It's kind of weird, right? And I knew I'm never getting out of this place that I deserve to be there forever. And these were two like supernatural, just like instinctive thoughts that I knew were true there were actual demons i mean that's the only way to describe it is that i began to be filled with demons um i mean because I, I started having major blasphemous thoughts and this like i said i had a powerful born again experience i i love jesus but it was like these these thoughts started coming in i started getting these mystery illnesses that just started coming and it, it got worse and worse like it got to the point i was almost getting diagnosed with a new mystery illness that the doctors couldn't figure out it seemed like every couple of weeks and uh like one of them was my heart was just began fluttering and they couldn't figure it out they did an ekg on me they ran tests they said well i mean there's nothing that that seems to be wrong and they were about to put me on meds and this sort of thing um and, and that's something right there too to think about for those of you out there if, if you're ever having a an illness that the doctors can't find there's there's a chance that that could be demons uh, i mean i know it was for me but it just got worse and worse and i just was handed over more and more to this anger and bitterness and it got to the point that i just i couldn't take it anymore and i remember somebody telling me that that they locked themselves in a room for 45 minutes and said you know i'm not coming out of this room until i get right with god but i knew that okay that's what i needed to do I, that's exactly what i need to do so i locked myself in a room and i said i'm not coming out of this room until until I figure out what's wrong, until I get right with God. And, and I locked myself in there. This was probably about 45 minutes or so. And I was just crying out to God. And he finally showed up in a vision and my eyes were open. I wasn't sleeping or anything like that, but he showed up and he grabbed my arms in this vision and dangled me over a cliff. And it was, this cliff was probably a hundred or so feet high. And down below was a lake of fire. And this lake of fire seemed to go on infinitely. It just kept going as far as you could see. And he told me, he, he dangling me off this cliff, he told me that I had a choice to make, that I had to choose either him or the world. And, and I knew, you know, sometimes when God speaks to you, even though he doesn't say the actual words, you, you kind of just know uh, other things about it. Like it's kind of just impressed upon you, like maybe a word of knowledge. So, you know, like if you have a word of knowledge, it's something that's just impressed upon you and you don't really know how you know it, but you just know it. And God, God told me that, or I had this sense that whatever choice I made, that if I chose to go with the world over him, that he would permanently hand me over to reprobate mind. I, I knew that that would be, that was the sense that I got that this was going to be a permanent uh, decision that I had to choose right then who, who I wanted to serve 
the world or him. And I was so filled with anger and, and just demons and bitterness that I remember I, I came so close to choosing the world. And, and it just, it scares me to this day how close I was. I mean, I, it, it could have gone either way. It, it was that close. I almost uttered the words. I, I was right on the brink of uttering the words. So what was and, it that made you say, okay, maybe I'll choose the world instead of Jesus? What was it? I, I was just, I, I think I just had this hatred. I, I just had this hatred towards God. And, uh, and and that's what it says in John 3. It says that men men don't come to the light because they they hate the light. Um, they hate they hate Jesus. That's what it really comes down to. And if you're if you're walking in sin, according to John three, it, it says that you actually don't love Jesus. Okay, to, to love him is to keep his commands. And and I was just willfully in rebellion against him, just over and over. And he was trying to draw me back, but I I kept you know just just refusing that. And uh, and he just handed me over to this. And um, but so I almost chose the world. But just at the last second, I ended up choosing him. And I said, okay, I choose you. And he pulled me back up over the cliff. And he said, well, then actually obey me. Now, you mentioned Papa Doc. A lot of us have no idea who Papa Doc is. Who in the world is Papa Doc? Papa Doc was the, the, the ruler, the dictator of Haiti from 1957. He died in 1971. He was the ruler. He killed many people, many people. Haiti, before Papa Doc came along, was very, very upbeat place. They had hospitals, they had all kinds of uh, uh, army, it was just an awesome place. But when he came in, he was an actual medical doctor. And that's why they called him uh, Papa Doc, you know. And uh, he was an actual uh, a doctor, and he came in, and and something jumped on him, and got a hold to him, and and he 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 turned out to turn out, you know. And it's a terrible thing. It, it's just a terrible thing. And my mother said no. She told me she said you'll never go to Port-au-Prince. She kept saying she kept taking a bottle of oil. And, and it was a big bottle. And she would anoint my head with oil. And she said, I'm anointing you for the gospel. You will preach the gospel. You will not go to Port-au-Prince. You will not work with Papa Doc Duvalier. You will not do all of those things. But then, then when the Papa Doc sent, he sent the lady from Port-au-Prince that was in the Bronx up there, Brooklyn and the Bronx. She came over and she said, Papa Doc sent me. And, and she would talk with a with a funny accent. Now then yet don't you know. Don't you know, child. I'm your mother now, don't you know. And she had told me that my mother wasn't her mother no more because Papa Doc sent her to be my mother. And my mother got wind up. She said, she said, what? And you know, they're supposed to be pulling off their earrings. They'd be taking off their braces, slipping out their shoes. <laughs> my mama said, come on, bring it, you know. But then my father got wind of it, that he jumped on my mother and knocked my mother down to the ground. Every time she would come to my aid, he would come to the to witch's aid. And it was just a bad cycle that was going on. But what they didn't understand is the power of a Holy Ghost filled mama. You mothers out there praying, don't you give up. Don't you stop. You keep on blessing them. You keep on praying for them. They don't care what's going around. 
greater is he that is in you. I'm talking to you. Talking to you out there. Yeah, you, that lady over there. Where that lady out there? Yeah, you, that little lady about four feet tall in Kansas City. I'm talking to you right there. Right there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You keep on knowing your head with oil and see what happens. You keep on speaking those things and not as though they are and see what happens. I'm going to live in witness. And then my mother saw all that and she said, you're going to preach the gospel. She never even thought that witchcraft was stronger than the Holy Ghost. She never even said it was stronger. She gets, she's speaking those things that Abraham did. She spoke those things as not as though they already were. Oh, glory to God. Amen. Here I am, 50 years later, wow. preaching the gospel all over the world, my dear sister, all over the world for her. Go ahead. I'll get excited. Now you got me all. Excited. No, you're good. I'm loving it. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. Now, specifically, how did Papa Doc know about you? Oh, my father worked with them. Oh. Yeah, my father worked with them. He was a part of that at American circle. He was a Facebook friend with them before there was a Facebook. It's called the Astral Lineage Line. Did you know about the Astral Lineage no, Line? No, what is that? You went to school that day that was being taught. What year was that? If it's beyond <laughs> my years, no. <laughs> I don't get messing with you. Uh, is that a real thing? Yeah. Astral Lineage Line is, it, 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 I'm going to tell nobody to do this, please. When you go to a magic show, I don't like magic shows. I'm saying I don't tell nobody to go there. But if you go to a magic show and you see somebody pulling something out of something, and there's no way at all that this big old giant thing can come out of thin air. It comes from what's called the astral lineage line. Oh, okay. So now, okay, you just opened up a can of worms now. So what is the astral lineal line? Lineage. Lineage line. What is no, the astral lineage line? You got to shape your mouth like a New Yorker. Like Ast this. Astral Ooh. lineage line. There you go. Nine. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, say like you, you're from Harlem, from 125th Street. Okay. Now, Astral Lineage Line is, you got your Bible handy? I do. Okay. Get to King James. I'm going to show you something, some few secrets in case somebody out there that's dealing with these things, you need to stop. You really, really need to stop. Go to um, 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 Proverbs 5 and 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. They stop right there. Okay, when somebody when somebody is um, uh, wishing, and I tell people, don't call don't call women bees. You know how bad it is when you call a lady a bee. I'm not. I'm talking. You, I'm, I'm talking in general. What happens when you call well, that? You know, get on my nerves, stuff like that. Which what's happening when you do that? And and it's and it's and and and, and Psalms 40 and 14 says it said. Let them be driven backwards and put and put to mutual shame that wish me evil. The smallest form of witchcraft is called wishcraft. It's in the Bible. It's it's what happens when a person is wishing somebody and don't even know it when they call somebody certain names and they have I wrote a book about it. What happens is that they, they don't even know their feet when they say these actual names of these spirits their feet walk right down into hell and when you get down into the pit to hell which is notice as sorcerers and shamans and voodoo people but they're not going to tell you that's why god saves people like myself to bring this information so you don't fall prey to that see when you're doing that 
You don't understand. It takes over your body and it takes you right down the steps of hell. And you can't say I'm making it up because it's right there in the Bible. Is it not, my dear sister? Yeah, I just read it. It's there. It's right there. And it's been there for thousands of years. But the people say, I'm just, I'm just getting them, I'm just getting them told. I'm getting them, getting this off my chest. No, you ain't. You're getting it on your chest. You're bringing this on your chest because what's happening when you do that it says her feet read that again i want people to get this please her feet go down to death there you go her steps take hold on hell thank you and don't even know it's then when they're saying these things but they think of words or not apostle paul says watch those dogs he's not talking about your poodle he's not talking about your even your pit bull you're not talking about your Dover Pitcher or your German Shepherd or your collie. He's not talking about them. He's talking about actual spirits that the book of James, the third chapter, talks about. When the tongue says certain things, it ignites the fires of hell. Fires of hell mean those spirits down there that come up, and you can and you can see this, Isaiah 29 and 4, that familiars will come right out of the ground. Isaiah 29 and 4. Read that, my dear sister. Isaiah 29 and 4. And thou shalt be brought down, and thou shalt speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as of one of one that has a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper one of the dust. You become a demon whisperer. Witches look like you have witches in government. <laughs> you have witches with ties and dressing nice. So you have witches and satanists and, and warlocks and all of these in the governments, in the family courts. So they are not, you don't, when you see a witch, don't expect to see someone with a long nose, with a thing in here, with a hat. That's not how it looks now. Now we see so many of these people in the occultism taking over the mid, the, the, the seven mountain, taking over the government, uh, 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 entertainment, Hollywood, cinema, music. That's where they are placed. So this is why I believe that us as children of God, we haven't been called to be sitting in a church every Sunday. We have been called to expand the kingdom of God to the different mountains, to the government, to the education, to media, entertainment. We have been called to take over those mountains and from that place shine because that's basically what the enemy is doing. He knows and he is positioning himself. He is releasing all these people to be positioned in government because if if the if the enemy is in the government they have authority from there to change everything and if they change everything it affects the rest of the society also movies music they are taking over they are releasing those things they are now writing the scripts for the movie with a spirits that are taking over and they are just writing the movies the music with that so this is happening this is what is happening so i believe that us as the church as the children of god we haven't been called to just go every Sunday to a four-wall place, sitting in there and clapping hands. We haven't been called for that. 
we have been called to expand the kingdom of God, to move and to take over these mountains, and from there, bring the uh, government and the kingdom of Jesus to take over that place. Because that's the only way that we are going to confront darkness and push back darkness. Explain more about the hedge of protection. Because I think okay. it's really important, especially um, it gives a lot of um, people who are children of God, those who are um, born again, uh, assurance or reassurance, those who are walking in Christ. So could you just tell us more about the hedge and okay. who may be covered and who may not be covered? Another question I asked God this morning, and he said, it's more like, it's more like a concrete bunker and it is only really there if the person has an active agreement that Holy Spirit is, is who they yield to. If you are going through life, going by your own understanding, I really like uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on this. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. If you don't do those three things, it's optional for God to lead you. It's optional for Holy Spirit to speak to you and most astonishingly it's optional for your guardian angels to protect you if you're not doing it the things that god says in god's ways it's optional there's a missionary friend who he was he wasn't a friend of mine but my parents heard his story and then they said norm you just got to hear this guy because he's about your age and he's a missionary to iraq also former amish but um he told this story while he was at a Mennonite church. And the unique thing was he had come to the church that my parents were attending, which was a Pentecostal church. And he didn't tell that story. So after, after, the, the, after he had spoken at my parents' church, he's standing in the, in the um, uh, caf, not cafeteria, but where, where we all eat after church. And I walk up to him and I said, you walk. He's like, well, yeah, I do. I said, no, you walk. And he instantly knew what I was talking about. He says, oh, you used to walk. I said, I, I used to walk in darkness and now I walk in the light. And he's like, oh, wow. I said, and you didn't tell a story. And just smiles. It's like, yep, I did not tell a story. Make sure. In the Bible, in the devil's kingdom, is you can play both sides, mixture. So when I go to parties, I will see I will see people Christians there, in the parties. These are mixture Christians, the ones that got mixture. They still have a taste of the word in their mouth, but they still go to church on Sunday, and they think they're going to heaven. So I will go and say, Hey, how you doing? How are you? My name is John. How you doing? I said, You know, it's something interesting. I was watching you from the corner, over there, and I saw something really interesting about you. Man, I, I have to tell you, you know, what do you think? You know, I, I know something about you that's going to shock you. Now, the Christians that are there, they, they got wine in the system. The music is playing. The, the demonic atmosphere is set. And they tell me, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I said, I, there's something about you that is really, really amazing, interesting, phenomenal. Now they open the door. What is it? Tell me. I trapped you. You fell into my trap. Now, now it's me. Instead of me being in your holy atmosphere, I just dragged you into my demonic atmosphere. 
and now you're open to receive what I have to tell you by source that was the witch looking for Samuel. And the spirit of suicide jumped on Saul. He committed suicide. Now I got legal rights over you because instead of you dragging me into the kingdom of Jesus, I dragged into the kingdom of darkness. And now your spirit is open to receive what I have to tell you. So I'm going to sugarcoat it because I don't want to give it to you heavy. And then once I know I have you trapped, then I give you the heavy part. I had a very bad experience and stuff. You know, I thought I died and went to hell, technically, uh, with the experience I had. So my friend, you know, said, oh, try this um, acid, you know. Basically, I did that. I, I saw scorpions on the bed of someone's truck. And I didn't think of the scripture. Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents, scorpions, all the power of the enemy. But I was in this trailer and I saw these uh you know, these things, these creatures of hell, this false religion I was in, and snakes and false gods and demons influencing my friends. So I had this experience and I thought, I, I wanted out of this. I wanted out of whatever I was in. I I was like, Lord, I, I don't, I was laying in bed depressed like the day after I was like, Lord, I don't, I don't, I think these things are just going to bring me to hell. I don't, I think I've done too much that I thought I had done too much that God couldn't save me after that, honestly. So that night I went to bed, I had a dream and I saw a bright light and a hand held out to me and I heard a voice say, follow Jesus. And yeah, at that point I threw all that stuff out and I was like, okay, well, God called me, you know, he, he can actually use me. This is a type of evil that you see in, in the um, movies. You see in like Annabelle or Chucky. This is just like ridiculous. You you don't see this kind of paranormal activity in, in real life. So now like something's signaling in my spirit, like, man, maybe the Bible it is real. Maybe I'm, I'm deceived. And I remember going to my dad and I'm like, dad, like I had a vision that I killed you. What is going on, dad? I need the truth. And it's like, it's like a, a wife asking her husband, knowing that he's cheating on her and she has proof, but she just wants to hear it from his own mouth. Like, babe, are you cheating on me? I was at that point, like, dad, is the, is the devil real? What is going on? And I remember asking my dad, I'm like, dad, is the devil real? And my dad knew, he knew, because he saw in the spiritual realm that I was possessed. He saw it, but there's no power in, in Catholicism or religion. There's only power in Jesus. And I asked him, I'm like, dad, is the devil real? And he's like, yes, son, look in the mirror. And as soon as I, as soon as he said that, I felt someone standing behind me and I felt someone was in me, that J2.0 that I allowed in. Not even just J2.0, but the spirits from marijuana, the spirits of pornography, thousands of demons. I, they all like, they all expose themselves in me at once. And I remember looking in the mirror and I'm just seeing a dull black face. I'm seeing someone who is lost, someone who is just staring at spirits, demonic spirits, who's just a house for the devil. And I'm looking at myself and as soon as I look at myself and I know now that the devil's real and that he's inside of me and I'm deceived, I come back and the devil manifests. My soul, it shifts out of my body. And now I'm spectating myself like I was in the basement and my head now, it's stuck in this position. And my dad, 
my dad, man, he handled it so good because my dad, um, God could still use unbelievers, believe it or not, but my dad's like, Satan, what do you want? And I'm like, I want your soul, but you have to make a, a deal with the devil. I, I have your son's soul. And if you want it back, then you need to make a deal with the devil. And at that point, I snap back, I, I shift back into my body and I'm freaking out now. I'm like, dad, dad, the, dad, the devil's real and he's in me. I'm like, dad, don't listen to him. Don't do it. Cause I've seen movies, like I've seen a interview with a guy, he went to a train track and he sold his soul to the devil. I always thought it was fake, but now seeing it in real life, um, it was the scariest stuff I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm telling my dad, I'm like, dad, don't make a deal with him. Do not. The devil is a liar. And um, the devil, he regains access. He hijacks my, my body again. And I'm stuck. Every time Satan would speak out of me, my head would get stuck like that. It's crazy because I think spiritually my head was stuck like that. But in the natural, I, the devil was just talking like that. And I was like, just out of it. And Satan's like, you have to make a deal with the devil. If you don't make a deal with the devil, then I'm gonna drag your son's soul down to hell. And um, my dad, he starts saying, no, I'm a child of God. Satan, why do you want my son? How did you enter my son? And Satan, he speaks out of me again. And he said that your son sold his soul for, for music and fame. And I gave him it. And you remember how I said that I went to the studio and the first song that I recorded um, hit 50K in, in one day when I was that J2.0 because I was rapping about money, sex, drugs. I was rapping about the devil's agenda. So when you're not making music to bring glory to God, you're automatically worshiping Satan. You don't have to drink blood and to wear like a satanic suit to worship the devil. All you need to do is not choose God, because if you're not living for God, then you're living for the devil. And I realized like, man, I sold my soul. I was worshiping the devil. I was making music for the devil. I was fornicating. I was smoking. I'm, I'm, I'm a demon. And as soon as he said that, um, my dad, the first thing in his mind, which you would see in a lot of horror movies, is he's like, I'm going to do an exorcism on him. So my dad, he grabbed holy water and he started shoving it down my throat. And he's like, dad, my dad's just throwing holy water. And he's like, devil out, devil out. And this is what the devil did when he drank the holy water. He just went, ah, like it had no power. Myself and Gavin, we, we put ourselves in this situation. We opened our homes to people. We put our lives on social media. We didn't pray. We didn't do any of that. So we put ourselves out there for the enemy to come and, you know, devour us. And, and like the word says, the, the, you know, the devil comes to kill, steal and destroy. And that's what he did. That's what he was trying to do. Um, but we allowed that to happen, unfortunately, because we were ignorant. We were doing things we were not supposed to be doing, you know. Um, and, um, and yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Cur the curse, 
the, the big massive curse was activated at that time and for us that was basically destroying destroying time <laughs> and the fact that we obviously were also smoking and always in the spiritual realm that made it easier for them yeah and i want you guys to elaborate on always in the spiritual realm because i know gavin you mentioned how you were walking down the street one day and some man said i can see you through my third eye or i can see your third eye and then you begin to elaborate on how you just both of you could not get out of this where everyone was seeing you all the mm -hmm. witches and warlocks were seeing you in your spiritual realm and you couldn't escape it so could you just break down for the audience how that even happens or how that happened again cannabis is a drug it's a mind altering drug like other drugs out there and um any type of drug basically at that moment in time your soul goes to the spiritual realm that's why the um which is the second heaven at that point when you're in the spiritual realm you're there illegally the legal way is by fasting and praying that's where you go there and you fight against demons and the attacks intercede yeah. but now when you do any type of drug it just pushes you further into the into the spiritual realm but it's, it's illegal and that's where the fallen angels are there, that's where the demons are there, that's where there's a lot of sorcery going on there, that's where they change your destinies, they steal your stars and um, yeah, so a lot of things go, um, happens in the spiritual realm. So in this particular situation, uh, the demons took me to another city, my Sarah told me to go to the shop and buy something, I was like okay cool, I'll go there, I took my daughter with me, but then somebody told me like, go to this other city, yeah just go there. I used to work there, but um, I didn't have I didn't have no reason to go there that, that day. But I was like, all right, then maybe I should just go show my my daughter how it looks like because um, she likes a few things from um, a few particular Portuguese food and all that. So when I was um, when I got there, I was walking up and down the, the the main road, looking for a calf I used to frequent sometimes when I used to work in, in that city a few years ago, and. Um, so we, 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 we managed to find the cafe, the cafe. So I went in there, I ordered my food, we sat down. Then I went outside because at that moment I wanted a cigarette. So I'm, I must have asked somebody, an Englishman, I was like, oh, have you got a spare cigarette for me? And he goes up to me, I've been waiting for you. And I was like, hmm? who's this guy? Who are you? He's like, oh, I knew you in the area. And I was like, who is this guy? I don't know this guy. And he's like, I can help you. So at that moment in time, it was pretending to be some type of healer. How do you know me? And it's like, oh, I know everything about you. I saw your third eye shining as, uh, as you're walking up and down the main road. It's like, third eye? Again, that time I didn't even know what third eye was. But now looking back, he was seeing me in the spiritual realm because that's where I was all the time. So as I was, there, as I was in the spiritual realm all the time, from always getting high, people, normal people in the physical, if they practice witchcraft, they can see you there. And so he, and then he had a familiar spirit. Obviously, that time I didn't know, and the familiar spirit was telling him everything about me. And he told me about my roots, told me about my um, my origin, and uh, he was coming across as a healer just this to pay my trust. Teller, it was a fortune teller. That's yeah. right. Yeah. You gotta understand Halloween. So let me make it real quick for your viewers, Jennifer. Halloween is the celebration and this is not a conspiracy theory or some sort of a you know opinion halloween 
is the celebration of Soween, the god of the dead. And what happens on that day, people go, well, this is all Hallows Night where you pray for the people who have died. And you know, they got all kinds of stuff. But it is, in fact, a night of worshiping Soween, the god of the dead. And on that particular day, as witches, we were of the mind that the veil between life and death was thinned. And that's why there was a lot of uh, so what we thought was communicating with the dead, necromancy, which really we were communicating with demons. Um, it was a night of, uh, in the higher up, uh, definitely human sacrifice. 100%. What they would do, now I again did not get into this, but you're aware of it. And you're even more aware of it now. What they would do is they would capture young girls that were on the streets, like myself in those days, walking the streets, drug addicted, and they put them in either Mexico or another place, lock them down for the year, drug them up, use them horribly. And then on that particular night, as a offering sacrifice to Soween, they would sacrifice that girl. Um, on that particular night, I was telling you earlier, Jennifer, they would lock down the shelters because they would go in and steal dogs, cats for sacrifice. Uh, it was a big thing to massacre and sacrifice a cow in the middle of a corn, uh, uh, a football field or a cornfield. Um, the dressing up all comes Soween, from Soween, let me tell you quickly. The Druids were a blood drinking priesthood that uh, excuse me, worship Soween, the god of the dead. On that night, he would call all the demons Soween. He would release these demons from the abyss and they would wander the earth. And so the Druids would dress up in very gory spooky. And if you notice at Halloween, the most popular thing to do, Jennifer, is to have bloody and be a, a, a skeleton or something black or a cat or a uh, anything dark and graveyards and all of that. So Soween would say that you have to put out a, a type of a sacrifice. So the farmers and those, when the Druids were walking the, the villages, they put out fruits and vegetables. This is all true. And for a while, Soween was okay with that, but then he wanted human sacrifice. So it was the practice of the Druids to go to a home and knock on the door. And then when the parents would come to the door, the Druids would be gory. Ugh. And they'd tell them, you have a 13 year old daughter. She needs to be on the porch tonight by midnight for a sacrifice to Soween. If she's not there, your whole house will be destroyed. All your animals will be destroyed. If you don't give us what we want, we'll cause destruction. Thus you get trick or treat. If you give us what we want, we won't hang toilet paper on your things and ruin your house and do damage. So it's been softened because the devil always softens everything. It makes it look nice. It's been softened, but it's still the same ritual. So you get trick or treat and the gory looks. So now the Druids would leave that particular house, Jennifer, they'd go off and what they do is they take a squash, not necessarily a pumpkin, maybe a squash or anything or a pumpkin, hollow it out. This is all fact. And they would take either a piece of human flesh or some type of fatty stuff and put it down inside the squash and put a very gory face and put it on that particular home. And then they put a hexagram on that door in blood. And if by midnight that child was not where she should be, then the house would be destroyed and everybody in it and all the crops would be destroyed and the animals. Again, trick or treat. Do give us what we want and we'll do damage. So again, that... Uh, the dressing up is to, uh, is sewing. Everything, if you go through a, a haunted house, you go through the streets, everything's 
black and dark. It is a celebration of the God of the dead. As I said before, that night there's rituals being done. So what you are doing, you are crucifying Jesus over and over again. I don't think, I don't, I can't imagine Jesus being on his throne looking at us and thinking, oh, that person is covered with my blood. Oh yes, go and celebrate it. If the Bible is clearly stated, we don't, we cannot participate in darkness. We need to expose it. So if you are exposing it, it's different. It's a, diff it's a different thing. If you are evangelizing and saying, okay, I'm covered with the blood of Jesus, I'm gonna go to evangelize to witches, you are covered with the blood of Jesus. The Lord is protecting you. But if you are participating on it and you are declaring the blood of Jesus, you are committing blasphemy against what Jesus did on the, in the cross for you. And you're basically telling him, hey, Jesus, you died for me on the cross. You bind darkness. You did all of this for darkness, but I'm going to take this in blood and I'm going to go and celebrate darkness. It just doesn't make sense. resurrections relate to the harvest, right? There are there are three harvests, and, and let me just focus on one, the barley harvest. Remember, that's where you have the feast of first fruits, and that's actually where Jesus rose from the grave, right, on that day, and he became our first fruits of us that are, are resurrected from the dead. But one thing that no one, I listen to actually seems to discuss is wait a minute that's only the first part of that harvest there's still a harvest right and uh so that's a that's the barley harvest so if if you've got the first fruits of that harvest then what happens next is the harvest of the rest of that group and so if jesus was the first fruits of the barley harvest aren't we going to have a barley harvest you know they always want to make him the first fruits of the barley harvest and then put everybody else into the wheat harvest all right guys you're, you're missing one whole group is there going to be a wheat harvest yes and that would be what we would consider the general resurrection and and, and again uh, it's too deep of a, a, a discussion to cover that but the barley harvest happens before the wheat harvest and uh, and so the, these these types of things that's what I'm on and that happens before the grape harvest which is the wrath of God and everything else you can tie all this in is what I'd like to say I was at this prayer meeting there was this time where we were just going to deep prayer where they were um, they turned the lights down and they gave us an opportunity to just surrender and so for me what happened was I had brought a pillow with me so I could pray and with my in the posture of prayer just with my head down on this pillow and I was kind of in fetal position with my head on a pillow and I was just repenting and I know the Lord was helping me know how to pray because I did not know really I'm just learning as I go how to be a Christian and how to really even pray but what happened was that I was in this time of prayer and I just started it felt like the Holy Spirit was just directing me to ask for forgiveness uh, for my father, my earthly father. And um, and so I just started, and it was like I could see all these scenes of this stuff from my childhood 
and um and I could just it was like the pillow I had my head on kind of was like my dad and my dad was just stroking me and I was just telling him how sorry I was and how much I repented from my own lack of uh, of, of my own response taking responsibility for my own breakdown my part in the breakdown of our relationship and I was just weeping and just repenting and, and just telling him how broken I was and how how sad it was to grow up and without him and just like letting things that were coming out it was like things were coming out of me that needed to be released that I didn't even know were there and then all of a sudden it shifted and it was the same thing happening but with my mom and so uh same thing she was I had my head on her lap and she's stroking me and I'm just weeping and saying how sorry I am for my own part and our lack of relationship and uh, telling her how hard it was as a child and just just let releasing all this stuff that was in me that I had no idea was in there it was just buried so deep and then the next thing I know I have my head down and all of a sudden in my in my heart and in my eyes it felt like Jesus I had my head on his lap and I was repenting to him for all the times I haven't believed him and haven't trusted him. And I told him all the lies I believed about him, that he wasn't there, that he didn't love me. And all of these things were just coming out and I could feel him just stroking my hair. And all of a sudden, when I'm in this encounter with Jesus, it felt like, um, and it was like I could see it. It was like it was really, really happening. Like I became this ball of light that just shot straight up into the air. And as fast as lightning, like was zooming up through the atmosphere. And what I was feeling in my heart, or what I was feeling in my whole body, it was unbelievable. Like, like if you were to take that moment in your life of the greatest joy imaginable and explode it times a million, that's what I was feeling. And I was like, I can't contain this. This is too much. But I'm going up through the atmosphere and I'm going through space. And, and there's all of these other balls of light and I can't see myself, but I know what I look like because I'm seeing others around me and, and, and they would come and bump into me. And every time they bumped into me, there would be an explosion. And I, that joy, I was like, it was even more amplified and it was amazing. And I was like, I really did think like I knew enough. I had heard about the rapture. I thought that I'm being raptured. This is amazing. <laughs> Anyway, and so I had no idea what was going on and I didn't, it was like I completely earth was, you know, not even a, in my thoughts. I was just so caught up in this moment. And the next thing you know, I'm like flat as a pancake and I'm not a ball of light anymore. I'm in my body and I'm like this, completely prostrate. And I know Jesus is right here, right in front of me. And I'm like, I'm so flat like I don't know how to describe it but there's a weight on me like I cannot move because the weight of the glory was so heavy on me that all I could do was just lay there but even when I'm laying there I'm so bathed in love and joy and peace that I would I could lay there for ever and ever and ever and ever and I would have been totally satisfied like that would have been completely fine with me and because I just felt like this is exactly what I'm made for. So, um, so January 22nd, 2017, I was still in the Marine Corps at the time. And um, I remember just really pressing into, into the Lord. I was spending time in the secret place with him. 
And that secret place that I chose was just my closet. I would just go in there every day and just pray. And I really like, my gosh, if you really want the anointing to come upon you, spend time in the secret place with the Lord. That's where you're going to get all the power that you need to overcome any obstacle in your life. And so as I'm spending time with the Lord, I'm asking him about the rapture. Because I was one of those Christians that was really into that whole rapture phase. You know, that whole YouTube rapture phase where everyone was like, oh, yeah, I think it's going to happen on this day, that day, you know. And I'm like, all right, you know, I'm, I, you know, I believe in the rapture. I do. It's biblical. But I don't know when it's going to happen. And a lot of these YouTubers, you know, they're just, they're really excited. But it's almost like they're overzealous. And I'm like, Lord, what is the truth here? You know, I'm stuck in between post-tribulation, pre-trib. You know, what is it? And so I'm praying and I'm really spending time with the Lord. And uh, on January 22nd, my birthday, God gives me this really special gift. And I had a vision. And in this vision, I remember I couldn't really differentiate. Like, I was there, right? I was experiencing this thing. And so I had fallen asleep. And I see this vision of people doing their day-to-day -day thing. I see people shopping. I see a mother and a daughter holding hands and they're going around this, you know, they're shopping together. I just see cars. I see people just living everyday life. It's a normal day. It was actually bright and sunny outside, nothing strange, nothing out of the ordinary. This is how I see the vision. And uh, out of nowhere, the vision shifts. And now I am in this auditorium and it looks like a like a high school basketball gymnasium where you have the bleachers that kind of stack up, you know? And uh, I'm sitting there listening to this man preach. And this man was on fire. He was on fire. He was preaching, he was on fire. I felt the Holy Spirit. And he's preaching so on fire that in this vision, I get up, I stand up to give him an applause because I'm like, wow, God, you're amazing. Like, this man is speaking, you know, he's, he's speaking literal flames right now. And all of a sudden, I start feeling this sensation of being lifted up. And I knew something was coming. You know that feeling that you get where the Holy Spirit's about to reveal something to you? Well, it was that feeling times a thousand. I felt something was about to happen. And as I'm being lifted up, I'm being tilted forward and I'm going over these bleachers. Now I'm really high up there. So at this point I'm floating, right? And I'm like, all right, it's time to go home. And all of a sudden, just like the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, I end up in the clouds. And I see these people yelling and screaming. And there's one thing I want to mention about seeing these people. I didn't see very many people in the clouds. It was almost like people were kind of like um, far away from each other. But you could hear, I could hear people yelling and screaming. And one guy said, it's finally happened. It's here, finally, you know? So people were expecting this to occur. And so as I'm seeing this, I'm just floating up there and looking around and, and I hear faintly trumpet sound. I faintly hear it in the clouds. Um, you would think that I would hear it full on blast, but I just faintly heard it while I'm in the clouds. I don't know why Jesus wanted me to, to faintly hear it. Um, you know, sometimes we don't know why God does certain things, but I do know that this rapture happened suddenly. It happened without warning. And I really do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture because of this dream, because I was spending so much time with God prior to that, that 
I just had never felt anything like this vision before. It really was. And so I'm in the clouds and that's where it ends. It was very quick. But when I woke up, I woke up in sweats and I thought that I was actually there. I thought that it was actually happening. So I was almost a little bit traumatized that it didn't happen. You know, that's how involved I was in this vision. And so I tell people this because I want everyone to know that whatever you believe in post-trib, it, it, it don't matter. Just be ready anyways. Be prepared regardless with the Lord now. And don't wait until later to be right with God. Because the devil is counting on you to wait until later. I met this young man earlier, uh, earlier this week. And um, he came to church finally. You know, everyone was praying for him to come. He finally came. But when he was talking to me about his relationship with Jesus, he's 18 years old. He said, well, Lewis, you know, I just haven't really made up my mind about Jesus because I, I'm 18. I still want to party. I still want to do this. Maybe later. I said, brother, you probably don't have later. I'm 27 years old. And a lot of my friends in high school that thought they had later passed away at an early age, at that age, and even younger, they're gone. So choose Jesus now. And whether you believe in this pre-trib, post-trib, it don't matter. You have to be prepared regardless, you know? But I wanted to share that experience because that's what the Lord showed me when I was, when I was uh, in deep prayer and really just wanting to find the truth about the rapture event. And it happened out of nowhere. It hit the ground. We could see the plume, yes, rising up, but nothing else was shattered, but it turned into a whirlwind of fire. It was a tornado of fire. And all of a sudden, what I started seeing was this massive tornado, like a five uh, grade five, or what do you call them in America, the, the worst of the worst. It was massive, and it was just all of fire. And I'm saying, what is this? I thought it was just a meteor, but it turned into this whirlwind of fire. It was so massive, and it started destroying people and burning them up before my very eyes. And as it started moving, it began to move very quickly through the city and coming closer and closer to where I was, so I could see the devastation. And I was hearing from a father cries. You know how you hear the cries of people that are running everywhere, but the cries of terror. And then all of a sudden, as it's coming closer and closer, then I can see people running everywhere and they're being consumed by this fire right in front of me. I can see them being consumed. It engulfs them and they light up like a torch straight away and they're absolutely engulfed by this and i'm trying to do something but i can't i'm just watching and as it gets to, there's a train station right there i could see the people in the platform and the train and they were running into the train it was jam-packed and they said we're going to save ourselves and the train started moving forward accelerating and all of a sudden this ball of fire comes and goes into the back carriage and goes right through the carriage and burns everybody alive. And I was absolutely shocked, absolutely shocked. And everyone that I had seen, that my eyes could see, everybody was dead, just completely all of them had died, just dropped dead. 
And then there was this man who was trying to get away. He was probably one of the last persons in that area where I was. And I was telling him, come with me and you will be saved. Come with me. But he couldn't see me. And as I looked at him, his eyes were coming out of his sockets of terror, knowing that he would die at any second now. So we were at the edge between this building and we were, he was facing me, I was facing him, but he couldn't see me. He was trying to see which way he would run. And I said, come with me and you will be saved. And he just turned around. He ran the other way to the corner of the building. As soon as he stepped out of the building, the fire came and consumed him. Total, it was horrible. And then I was thinking, what is causing this? I know it's a, like a tornado, but it must be something else. And then I look to my right-hand side. I go to the corner of the building, and then I follow it along. And then there's an open space, like a huge, huge open space, like a park. Open space. I was at the edge of the city in this open, open space. And all of a sudden, I'm going. I'm walking quickly to the end of this uh, building to see what is it that has been causing this. And all of a sudden, Jennifer, I see a four-story principality, a demon, walking away from this section of the city, walking away with great defiance. And this demon was walking. It was like a, seeing a big, huge not a King Kong, but like a blob, black, deformed. I looked at his head, the back section of his head. It was just massive, but he had these ears like a bat. And then I'm looking at it, and it's about 50 meters away from me. And then the anger of the Lord by the Spirit of God comes upon me because I saw the devastation that this demon had just created, killing thousands of people just in front of me killing thousands and there was great defiant in this demon walking away with great pride you could sense the pride that it had this devilish pride that it had because it it accomplished its mission by killing these souls of people there was nothing left no one left just smoke smell of rotten flesh that's been burned up in the in the atmosphere and I was alone now and the Lord allowed me to see this clearly and I saw this a four-story giant uh, principality this demon and I step out of that into the open space and then he realizes someone else is left this is the impression that I got straight away that by the way he turned around he was saying there's someone left that I didn't kill and, and, and like I said, it's four-story high, like a blob, very big, very defiant. It turned around and it looked at me. And when I saw his face, it was partly a face of a bat uh, with, with, with the cheeks of a bulldog. If we can mix this up a little bit. It was partly animal, bestial, right? And part hat but a furled, vicious cat. It was a mixture of all this. It was hideous, a deformed, and this used to be an angel before, a deformed, 
and very powerful very powerful you could tell that it, it had great power because principalities have power over regions uh, and they the principalities have other demons under them that they uh, tell them what to do right and those under him have uh, power over other demons that are uh, demons that are minions that do the little work the, the the things that hassle people and all that but this was very strong but as soon as this demon saw me it it, it sort of growled but I began to run towards it. <laughs> but I'm running in the power of the Lord and in the wrath of the Lord, right? Because I've, I've just seen something that was so horrific. And now that I knew it was a demon, a principality, I said, I'm running towards it. But it wasn't just my instinct. It was the spirit of the Lord that took me to run towards him. And as I'm running, I could see myself like this, right? And then I raised my hand. I pointed at him. And I said, in the name of Jesus, as soon as I said this, Jennifer and dear hearers, as soon as I said this, his ears that were like bat, they came down like a shishai cat. He was so scared. He was petrified just by the name of Jesus. He was absolutely petrified. And all the defiance and all the the pride that it had, it just melted away. And then it turned around and it began to run away from me. And I said, in the name of Jesus, you go back to the abyss. I shouted at it. And all of a sudden, it just ran a bit. He jumped up into the air. And then he went head first into the ground and down the abyss. In the discourses is where we find out two different temples, okay? And many of us know it throughout history that there were two types of temples. Well, what was, remember Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us what was shall be and what is shall be. So that means like Old Testament was shall be and New Testament from Christ until the moment of the pre-trib escape is the is that we're living in. So was and is shall be. That, that is very, very powerful when you understand it because all those things that played out over thousands of years are going to play out in a condensed period of the end of days, which is why Mark says their time at about the mid portion of Mark in, in, in his discourse says it'll be a time worse than it ever was since the creation of the world up to that point. And then Matthew's, says it'll be worse at that point than even Mark's. We'll talk about that in a bit. And <clears throat> that it will never be worse than that again. And there's a reason why Matthew's is different. I tried everything and I couldn't get clean. Um, so one day I'm sitting right where I'm sitting right now. I was sitting here smoking my meth pipe looking at jobs and then i turned the calendar um i turned the calendar from february to march uh and there's something hanging on my march calendar and i pull it down and i looked at it 
and it was those stupid tickets to that dang Bible conference. And I thought, oh, you idiot. Like, wow. They sure saw you coming, didn't they, Dave? You spent a $100. Oh, wow. You idiot. I was so frustrated with myself. I was like, I cannot believe I did that. Like, what were you thinking, man? And then I remembered, wait a minute. I remember being drawn to that conference. And I remember spending $100 that I didn't have. I wonder if I'm supposed to go there. And then that other voice would say, no, you're not going, dude. You're a meth addict. We're going to stay here. We're going to get high. That's what we're doing. We're getting high. You're not going to go hang out with a bunch of Jesus freaks when you're a meth addict, right? I mean, that really? I mean, a bunch of straight people and you in the middle of them, that ain't going to work. And then I and then I was like, but I paid $100. I remember being drawn. So I had this battle going on. Um, like, should I go to this conference or not? I mean, I have no business being in public. I'm so strung out, much less a bunch of Bible thumpers um, <laughs> in the middle of them. And uh, uh, so anyway, so I decided, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take this ticket back and I'm going to get my $100 back. And then I'm going to go to the meth house and I'm going to get me a gram of dope and I'm going to get high. That's what I'm going to do. And so I decided, you know what? If if I, don't, if I, I need to get there first thing in the morning, because if I wait till half the day is over or the day, you know, if part of the conference is over, they're probably not going to give me my money back. But from there, first thing, uh, maybe they'll give me my money back. So um, I either got up early that morning or I just stayed up all night doing meth. But I remember getting good and high before I went to the conference. It was in Grapevine, about 45 minute drive from here. And uh, I sat here and smoked meth, did a couple lines, got good and high. And I jumped in the truck and I went over to Grapevine and I waited in line. Then I told him I need to get my money back made a mistake. I need the money. You know, my electric's getting turned off, whatever. I'm sure I made up some lie, but they wouldn't give me my money back. They're like, no refunds. And I was like, what? I was like, well, and I, you know, I, I tried for a while, but they wouldn't give me my money back. So I thought, you know what? I'm already here. I might as well sit down and at least see what they have to say. Maybe I'll just listen for the first hour and then I'll go home. So I sat down, I started listening. And then I remembered, oh, these are interesting speakers. Like, wow. I remember why I was so drawn to these people on YouTube now. So I listened to the first speaker or two. And uh, then I started nodding off because my meth was wearing off. And so I caught myself nodding off in the middle of this crowd. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't like fall asleep. I can't pass out here at a Bible conference. <laughs> so, so I got up and I said, I'm going back home. But they, but they were so interesting, these speakers, that I wanted to see them. So they had live stream where you can go home and watch it on the computer. So I came home and I sat right here smoking meth and doing lines and watched the rest of the Bible conference that day on my computer. And, uh, so Saturday morning, same thing. I get up bright and early. I get get a bunch of meth in me, get good and high, and I go to the conference. I listen for the first uh, couple speakers. And I start falling asleep, and I come back home and sit here and smoke meth and watch the rest of the conference. But Saturday, they start talking about um, baptism on Sunday. And they, the first guy that said baptism, I thought, oh, snap. Maybe that's why I'm here. Like, maybe that's why I'm here because uh, – I hadn't found a particular reason I was at the conference. I knew it had something, uh, there was some reason I was drawn to it. So I was looking for something specific and I thought maybe this is it. So I called my dad because my dad was a pastor and I said, dad, I'm thinking about getting baptized again. What do you think? He said, no, you don't need to get baptized again. You got baptized when you're eight, man. That's, I mean, you don't need to do it again. And I was like, oh, well, maybe that's not why I'm at this conference. Um, so I was discouraged, but as the day kept going on, I kept watching these preachers. And I kept mentioning baptism. It just, it, I kept going over this battle in my mind. I think maybe I'm going to get baptized. And then the other voice, he was like, no, you idiot. What are you expecting? I mean, what are you expecting? I mean, uh, are you going to believe this fairy tale God in the sky that's going to save you or something? Uh, so Saturday night, I stayed up. I stayed up late. Uh, I stayed up till three, four in the morning, smoked meth, smoked pot, 
eating Xanax, drinking beer, um, just and, and watching this conference till it was over and trying to decide whether I was going to get baptized or not. Went to bed that night. Sunday morning, I got up and it was late because I'd stayed up half the night, right? And so it was late. It was probably 10 o'clock and I, and I woke up and I saw the time. I was so mad because now I'll never know. Like, I was trying to figure out if that's why I was going to that conference for the baptism. Now I'll never know because I, I missed it. And then I looked at the clock again. I thought, 10, I think I can, you know what? Let me try it. Let me just haul butt over there and see what's going on. So I did the rest of my math, got good and high, uh, jumped in my truck, headed to Grapevine, Texas. And when I got there, I had already missed all the morning services. They were already at the pool at the Hilton Inn in, in uh, um, Grapevine, and they were baptizing people already. And so I still didn't know if I was going to get baptized. And I brought my clothes just in case. And so I, and I was sitting there I'm like, God, should I do it or should I not? I'm not hearing from God, no, no answer. So I went ahead and got changed. I got in line. And I, all the way walking up um, to the to the guy's baptism, I didn't, I didn't know if I was going to do it or not, but I knew I had to get in line and then I'll decide. And anyway, next thing you know, it's my turn. And I, I said, well, what do I have to lose? I'm here. They're looking at me. I might as well try it. And um, so I walked down into the waters of baptism and I told this prat, this preacher, and I was dead serious, but he thought I was joking. I said, I said, hey, man, uh, do you mind holding me under the water a little bit longer than you do everyone else? Because I want to make sure I'm clean, brother. I got a lot of filth to come off. And he just laughed. He said, yeah, you got it, man. And I was dead serious. I wasn't joking a bit. Um, so they baptized me. And I don't know if they helped me under the water longer or not, but I came out of that water expectant and so excited and I came out and then they said, congratulations and pushed me out of the pool, wrapped a towel around me and got the next person in baptized. And I'm like, wait a minute, well, nothing happened. Like, that's it. That's, that's it. I went that, oh, wow. And then I, I, I had the shame and I was embarrassed. And I, and I sat there dripping with the water running down my face, just like, wow, you're such an idiot. Like you really bought into this fairy tale genie in the sky that could deliver you. Like you're such an idiot. And I was so frustrated that day because- well, What were you expecting to happen though? I don't know. I, I think about that a lot. Like, I don't know. Like when Jesus got baptized, God said, behold my son whom I'm well pleased. Like that would have worked. Or, or like and maybe, a dove come out of the sky. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting, but I just I don't know electricity. I don't know. I don't know. But I just remember getting out and I was embarrassed and I was ashamed that I had bought into this because when I came out of the water, nothing happened. But let me tell you, when I, <laughs> woo, when I was in the water, something must have happened because that was five years ago last weekend. And I have not once touched meth again from the time I came out of that water. God set me free. I have never touched meth again. I would say about like a week or two before the third month ended, uh, I woke up and I went to go take my pills as normal. I went and I opened my drawer and went to reach for them. But immediately I froze because like a kid who's reaching into a cookie jar and their mother catches them and the mom's like, hey, what are you doing? The kid will just like freeze there and go, uh, nothing. That's how I felt. And I heard this loud, authoritative, powerful voice come into my head, but it wasn't like the voice was yelling at me. It wasn't like the voice was like angry with me. It was more just like a stern, authoritative, like, it was, it was just more of a stern, authoritative voice saying, stop, 
don't do that. And immediately I started freaking out inside of my, inside of my head. And I was like, where, where's this voice coming from? Like, I didn't understand what was going on, but I just froze there and I couldn't move. I couldn't talk. I just stood there and I heard this voice talk to me saying, stop, don't do that. It's not what I put you here to do. And I remember it was like almost like a conversation. And I remember saying like, what do you mean? Like what's going on? And then the voice said again, uh, it's not what I put you here to do. I want you to follow me, but no, if you follow me, there'll be lies and deceit ahead of you and you're going to need discernment. And I just had this feeling and I just knew inside of my heart that I needed to follow this voice and I, that I would follow this voice to the end of the earth if I, if it was possible. And I turned around and told the voice, okay, I'll follow you. And so Satan took one last shot at me on December 25th, December 25th, still doing drugs, still fighting. And, and I was trying, trying to figure out, like, man, how come? And I was getting that, that thought of suicide again. And I remember on Christmas, I was looking at my loved ones and like, man, they're just all happy. And, and I was like, man, I don't, I don't deserve your love. Man, you're just a drug addict. You're just, it's never gonna end for you, man. Like, you don't deserve your love. And so I went to the car and I just said a little prayer, man. And then Jesus spoke to me and said, because um, I kept saying, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of any of this. And Jesus, he goes, well, man, don't you know, like, I, I died. You are worthy. I died for the worst person in the world. And I had to think about it. I was like, man, wait, look, he did die for Hitler, that Hitler might repent. He died for Putin, that he might repent. He died, he died for the worst of the worst, that they might repent. You know, that, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, man, that's how much you love us man and so i was like okay god i am worthy because that's how much you love me that's how much you love us that you would die for us and and just go to the cross and so at that point i was like man god you um you got me i'm yours now so i got out of the car i went in the middle of the street on my knees and i just said lord you know i'm yours thank you glory to you father god praise your name hallelujah i'm yours lord i'm yours <laughs> And then my parents uh, were a little bit behind, but but I tell you, they they were so open to to that challenge, like read the Bible. And I think for my mother and my father, they were very curious as to why I was willing to give up the only life that I had ever known and loved. And the thing about my story was that I wasn't abandoning Mormonism so that I could go off and be a heathenistic sinner, uh, which is the case with a lot of people that grow up in very strict religious, you know, uh, groups is like they use that freedom as a license to sin. But for me, it wasn't that case. I was still, even by a Mormon standard, I wasn't doing anything that I wouldn't have done as a Mormon. Um, but I was just putting all of my emphasis into Christ and in his word and no longer in, you know, the unique doctrines and aspects of Mormonism. And so I think for my parents, it was like, well, that's kind of weird. That's interesting. Like, why is he only focusing on Jesus? And, and my parents being amazing people by earthly standards, it's like they love Jesus or the Jesus that they were following in Mormonism. And they were, you know, loved the Bible. And so they thought, well, let's let's see what this is all about. And, um, and I appreciate the patience that they had. Um, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say that things were great. I mean, we had a, 
there was a lot of tension in our familial relationships. There was there was some strife there. Um, there were some some harsh conversations. Sometimes, uh, you know, my zeal maybe was was too great, and and not giving them more, you know, understanding and compassion at that time. Um, but I appreciate that they never ostracized me. They never cut me out of their lives. Um, and so they went to the Bible, I think just out of sheer curiosity and, and through the word of God individually, um, God reached into my parents' lives to my mother first, and then eventually my father, uh, for my mother, I think the tipping point for her was the gospel of John. Um, and even from John one, one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And as we talked about before, it's like, wait a minute, that's a big contradiction to the nature of God and Jesus that she knew in Mormonism. Wait, Jesus is God. And, uh, and through the, the Gospel of John, um, God really reached into her life and heart. First of all, it, it was his presence that entered my room. I, I didn't see him with my natural eyes, but I knew, I knew immediately who he was when his presence en entered. And it was like ugh, total reverence. And it wasn't that I didn't hear words for most of it. It was like, it is, you know, it's a soul to soul speaking. And he came to show me why I was experiencing what I was experiencing. Cause that's how dumb I was. That is how, I'm sorry, but how ignorant I was. I had no clue. Cause I had never read the Bible. I didn't know that it talked about all these things in the Bible, which is, you know, anyway, just amazing because you know, here I think, oh, Christians don't know this. You read your Bible. I mean, it's all there, but anyway, so he showed me like, well, you, what do you think the consequences were to opening all these doors and doing all these things? You think there were no consequences? This is kind of the irony. On one hand, I totally believe in the spiritual world and the supernatural, but then I didn't expect there to be any consequence to everything that I was doing. I mean, it, it, it's totally, it doesn't even make sense. So he, he just showed that to me and it was just kind of an instant, instantaneous understanding, but it was very loving. It, there was no condemnation. And I'm not saying that there is no condemnation in Christ. It's for those who are following after the spirit and not the flesh, by the way. Um, but I, but I don't think, you know, anyway, God, Jesus is love. And so he, he has a way he will, it's not condemnation, but anyway, it doesn't mean you can do anything you want, but he, he teaches in a totally loving way. And I felt totally loved in the name of the Lord Jesus or whoever is watching, whoever, whoever is hearing, I pray that father, you touch their hearts. You open their minds, you open their ears. You give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, that they can hear, they can clearly hear what we are saying, that they can see the love and the mercy and the goodness of you, Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. You touch them, you touch them in a way that they cannot deny your absolute miraculous ways of going above a man's mind you take these words and you add the holy spirit the oil of the holy spirit to it that you wash and touch those ears and minds and hearts that this word which is the tr absolute truth will pierce their hearts and they have a they, they, they ignites a fire in them for yourself the fire of loving Christ, accepting him as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray.